Uh, welcome to Trivially Crucial, where every adorable droid, lightsaber, and single biome planet is important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant it may seem. I'm Michael Gabriel, and with me, as always, is Mandy, um, wait, you have a different last name. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yes. Hi, Mandy. <laughs> Hi, Michael. <laughs> um, you can introduce yourself if you'd like to, or we can just leave it as Mandy. <laughs> well, we don't usually say my last name, oh, but that's cool. uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Never yes, mind. I'm Mandy, and I did just get married, so name okay. change. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we both have seen Star Wars. Um, you've seen it a couple of times. I've seen it once, but I've listened to a lot of people, talked to a lot of people, so I haven't forgotten details yet of the movie, to my knowledge. Um, still haven't yet gotten to see it a second and third time yet, but um, we will. Uh, I guess. Yeah, today we're clearly based on the intro and what I just said. We're working. On, we're going to be talking about Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. That's been a, a long time coming. Been excited for a while. Much anticipated, for sure. Um, and uh, there are a lot of opinions out there in the world, and these will be ours. <laughs> uh, so uh, there's a lot that we could say, but I guess we'll start off by having you kind of lead us off with your feelings overall. I feel the need to couch my feelings with a couple of things. One, I love Star Wars. I have loved Star Wars for a very long time. Star Wars is generally considered to be my favorite thing ever. I may or may not have a Star Wars shrine in my home. Uh, I really love Star Wars. So, uh, you know, when it, when it came to this movie... Uh, though I wouldn't say that I was um, getting too much expectations built up uh, because obviously we've all lived through the prequels. Um, so that's a reality of Star Wars that is equal to the original uh, reality of Star Wars and that they are both things that happened. Uh, and for us in particular, Michael, you know, the prequels yeah. are our living memory, something that happened to us as opposed to the original trilogy, which is something that existed before we were born. So, um, we lived the prequels as opposed to the original trilogy, which I can't even remember the first time I watched them because, you know, I was so young. Yes. Uh, but when it came to this movie, uh, you know, on my checklist for getting married, one of the steps was buy tickets for Star Wars. Like, that was just understood that that was something that was happening. Um, and uh, so we did buy our tickets. Uh, unfortunately, our uh, cruise uh, was going to keep us from seeing it opening night, so we bought our tickets for the Saturday after it came out. Then it turned out, going on a Disney cruise, we got to see Star Wars anyway. Um, so uh, I really love Star Wars. I've seen it twice. Uh, so what are my... Open, opening general thoughts on The Force Awakens. Uh, they exceed the prequels in almost every way it's possible to be better than a movie, <laughs> with the exception of ambition. Uh, but in every other possibility, they are better than the prequels. Or There's no they. The new movie <laughs> is better than the prequels. Uh, but uh, it is not as good as the original. Uh, Overall, I gave this movie a, uh, in my mind, a low B, uh, which isn't bad. Uh, you know, that's, I still really enjoyed it. Uh, but there were a couple of storytelling things that threw me out of the story while I was watching it. And it takes, well, there, there are a couple of pet peeves that can throw me out while I'm watching it, which this movie hit, uh, because I am 
uh, someone who's very familiar with space and physics and how space and physics work, and also because I'm very familiar with Star Wars and how Star Wars's space and physics works. Uh, so that's kind of not almost a not fair uh, thing <laughs> against the movie, and we'll talk about that more when we get there. But um, uh, and then there are just uh, full disclosure: I do not like J.J. Abrams. So uh, he brought a lot of stuff to this movie that I felt took away from the movie. Um, So a lot of that got subtracted from this movie's score, if you will, as well. Uh, But overall, I still think it was an enjoyable movie, um, an interesting installment uh, in Star Wars. And I'm, while I wasn't particularly um, pleased with all the decisions made in this movie, I think it is an interesting jumping off point for a new trilogy. And as uh, The Empire Strikes Back taught, taught us, uh, you can fix a lot with a second movie. Um, not that there were necessarily big problems in A New Hope, but there are definitely continuity issues between A New Hope and Empire that nobody cares about because Empire is such a great movie. Uh, so things we may not have liked in this movie can be fixed in the next movie. And this is not the end of Star Wars as we know it or anything uh, dire. Uh, certainly not since it was a, a good movie. Um, but yes, overall, I enjoyed it. Good movie. Liked the characters, liked the acting, liked the cinematography. Uh, wish it could have been a little more ambitious. Better than the prequels. Cool. Um, well, okay, so I'll start off with my background is a little bit different. Um, I didn't grow up with Star Wars the way that a lot of my friends did. I mean, I'm a big, big Star Wars fan of the original trilogy. Don't like the prequels and so on. Uh, uh, I don't like the changes in the special editions, but I actually didn't grow up really knowing star wars well until after the special editions existed it was so for my my background i mean my parents are are foreign not nerds i didn't get exposed to a lot of science fiction stuff except for what i got exposed to through the very few nerdy friends i had when i was younger or what i exposed myself to um so while i knew the star wars story and was into the collectible card game and all that stuff i don't think i watched the original movie all the way through for the first time until i saw the special edition of it release in the theater. Um, I'm horrified. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's just, it's a, <laughs> uh, and clearly, so I, the thing is I, that I was still a kid at the time. I mean, that was what? 97. Uh, yes. So, yeah. so I saw it in, in 97, I was 11. Um, so still a kid, but I didn't, I didn't grow up with star Wars always being a thing. I didn't grow up always, you know, I can think of the first time that I, saw the first movie all the way through. Um, before that, it was just bits and pieces here and there. I, didn't, I couldn't tell you what scenes happened in which movies. I, I mean, I knew that Darth Vader was Luke's father, but I didn't know that was a big reveal in, you know, and not in the original movie. I didn't, I didn't know a whole lot of other things like that. I didn't know Yoda wasn't in the original movie. Uh, I mean, there were a, a whole lot of things that didn't fill in until I got to the, you know, 11 years old and finally watched that movie, and then afterwards went to a friend's house and watched the uh, second and third movies, Empire and Return of the Jedi, on VHS to be able to see uh, how the story went properly. Um, So as such, I don't have a lot of the nostalgia that a lot of people do. I mean, I'm still nostalgic for Star Wars, but it's a different phase in my life. It's not kind of my all of my childhood that uh, is accompanied with it. I um, A lot of the time, I'm very careful when I put forth the it's not really criticism of the original trilogy, but I can, I notice a lot of things that I don't think hold up. Um, while I think that they're absolutely fantastic movies and everybody should see them and, and so on, there are a lot of things where they're clearly of their time. There are lots of nitpicks that I could make of the original trilogies that I just don't think really matter. Um, 
that I think a lot of my friends never really bring up. Um, there are things that especially came to light where a few weeks ago, uh, a week before uh, The Force Awakens was released, I actually had a group of people over, two of whom had never seen any Star Wars movies. And we watched the original movie. And there were several parts where these this very non-nerdy group just burst out laughing when we weren't when it wasn't really a thing that we were supposed to do. Like it wasn't meant to cause scenes that are not supposed to bring on laughs that cause people to laugh just because of you know when the movie was made. And, and again, it was the first movie was very ambitious. It did a lot that other people didn't do, and there are a lot of things that just would be done differently if it was a new movie. Made. Um. That is not really giving much criticism. It's just sort of my perspective on the original trilogy. Uh, I really, 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 really dislike the prequels a lot. Um, I, Which my, my feelings on the prequels are not the same. <laughs> so so uh, to me, the best thing I can say about the prequels is that if they weren't Star Wars, we would have all forgotten about them. Um, which means that they wouldn't be on lists of like the worst movies ever. But that's about... They're, they're just totally forgettable, except that they are Star Wars and therefore we're saddled with them. Um, that said, <laughs> that said, they were very ambitious. There was a lot of there are a lot of plot details they filled out, which you know it's nice to have as a background uh, as background elements. And I'm not going to go through and tell people that they didn't happen. I mean, they're part of the canon, and they're things that the newer any new movies are going to be made within the kind of the framework that those and the originals are built. So yeah, so I have I. Yeah. I don't want to bring this up right now other than uh, when we actually start talking about the movie, I have a mini rant related to that. Uh, but okay. keep going. Keep going. <laughs> cool. cool. <laughs> um, so going into my anticipation for this movie, I was pretty excited. I saw the first trailer and resisted watching every other trailer because I didn't want to be spoiled. Um, I, even though I did read uh, a fair number of books in the extended universe and liked them, I was totally fine with tossing out everything in the extended universe to have the new canon just use what it wants to. Um, I, I'm not really, I'm not really upset with uh, anything that gets tossed out from the extended universe because I wasn't married to any of it. Um, but yeah, so going in, uh, I guess I, I went in thinking that there were three things they needed to do with this movie, uh, and they were the first was to get people on board who really didn't like the prequels but still love Star Wars. Uh, the second was to tie us to the original trilogy, and the third was to get us excited about what happens to the new characters next, to get us to hopefully care about their future adventures more than just kind of status updates on the characters from the Holy Trilogy who we were going to see in this one. And uh, so my overall view is that they did it. Um, I actually, like you said, definitely much better than the, the prequels. Um, I would actually say that I think that in 15 years, people who didn't grow up with the original trilogy in their, in their life, I could see them watching the original trilogy, watching the prequels, and watching these, and I could see some, or this movie, and I could see some people reasonably having this one as their favorite. Whereas, I can't really see somebody at, like, who didn't grow up with either the prequels or the original movies and going back and watching them thinking that any of the prequels are their favorite. You know, like like favoritism being a nostalgia thing. I can understand people who grew up with the prequels being brand new, uh, allowing it to be their favorites. But I just can't see anybody who didn't grow up with them being their new Star Wars, uh, preferring them over the original trilogy or this movie. I could feel like there I definitely feel like there could be some people, new audiences to come who maybe haven't even watched this any Star Wars yet, including this one, 
who may prefer this in the long term. Um, and I, I wouldn't I fault will, them for it. I, I will say, you know, yes, my little sister grew up with the prequels, so that is obviously an affecting factor. But uh, for my little sister in particular, she loves the prequels. And I think part of it is because of Amadala. Uh, and Ray is not Amadala, and so, uh, we'll, and we'll discuss that later. But I, I, I think there is a certain type of person that, uh, you know, your Leia or your Amadalas is a far more, uh, you know, appealing. When you only have three women, right? It's, right. it's kind of like you have three. It's not like the male characters where you have so many in one ep one episode that you can be like you're relating to that person very strongly and there are still other dudes you could relate to. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think my little sister very much related to Amidala uh, more so than Ray. And I'm not sure that would change if it was 20 years from now. <laughs> well, and I guess that's the thing is I, I'm not going to argue that it's impossible or anything like that. I just have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea that 20 years from now, if somebody's exposed to all of these while they're all old, that I can, I feel like just because of the way movie making has changed and the way it will continue to change and the way audiences will change, I can see people preferring this one, but it, but I, it just, I don't know. It tough for me to, to, to really parse the idea of someone liking the prequels more than the originals when they're not, when they didn't grow up with them, but I'm never going to discount people really liking things they grew up with. Um, that said, I could be wrong. We'll find out in 15, 20 years and it's not really an argument worth, yeah, <laughs> I mean, having, the, the, the no prequels idea. are bad, and I'm, and I'm completely on board with that most of the time. Uh, but, okay, Great. keep going. <laughs> um, no, so, so that's about it. I, I basically, I think that this was worthy of Star Wars, um, and I am very happy that it exists, and I'm really, really excited to see what happens to the new characters next. Um, and I was never excited about what happened to the new characters next in the prequels. Oh, so, burn. Um, burn to Obi-Wan Kenobi. What? How how could you not love Obi Wan Kenobi? I mean, uh, we'll we'll get into that. I I suppose like we not I suppose we will definitely get into that. I promise. <laughs> All right. So uh, as a jumping off point, I kind of want to talk about this idea of worthy of Star Wars and the. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. The politics, um, the politics of the Force Awakens, in universe, obviously not real politics. I don't right, care right, about right. real politics. I care about Star Wars politics. Um. And, and I want to talk about the politics because obviously the opening scrawl always kind of introduces us to the politics of the situation we're going into, right? right? And if you watch A New Hope with no understanding and you read the opening scrawl, you're kind of just like, Galactic Empire, Rebels, okay, I get that, right? To a certain yes. extent, I don't know who Princess Leia is, I don't know why she's important, I don't know what these plans, whatever, but I can get the idea that there's this overarching bad guy, right? Right. That controls everything. And then there's Rebels. I understand that. That's pretty straightforward. And yes, episode one's opening politics was very confusing. We all agree. Trade Federation, Republic, planets. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> but then the entire rest of the movie is spent on politics. So by the end of the movie, you understand what's happening, even if it wasn't exciting to watch. You understand what the politics of the universe are. It may sort not of, be thrilling, maybe. but you understand it. Uh, you understand that there's this republic, that there's a lot of squabbling, you know, Papaltine's controlling everything, because we've already seen the original trilogy, so we understand he's got some dire plan. Uh, you know, th and there's a lot. In The Force Awakens, without 
seeking out extra material, which at this point I have done. There is no understanding of what the politics of the situation is without either applying headcanons, your own meta, or seeking out, you know, extra right. material. It literally makes no sense. Because uh, as far as we know, the Republic's in charge. The First Order is essentially, as far as you know, not not including the extra material I know, because I'm not going to bring that in at this moment, though I will right. later. Uh, it would seem... That the logical thing is the Republic is in charge and the First Order is in essence the rebellion. It's just the wrong rebellion. But instead they've introduced this resistance. So watching the movie, I have to assume that this means we have some weird like modern level politics going on where like the Republic and the First Order for some reason have some sort of non-aggression treaty and so they have to have this like shady underhanded deal with these people within the First Order planets I assume because otherwise what are they resisting uh, who are resisting the First Order uh, but none of that it, it's just it's never explained and then I have read a lot of things and listened to a lot of other podcasts where they're like oh who cares about politics anyway it doesn't matter and I'm not, Star Wars. I, yeah and I'm with you I'm not on board that as someone who doesn't think this is necessarily as big an issue as you do I also agree with you though that no we can't just dismiss it like yeah. well I mean my thing is politics has always been part of Star Wars I mean obviously one two and three are movies they happened they are real. You cannot deny their existence. I mean, I guess you can, if you if you so desire. Yeah. And you can but, tell, and you can say that people generally shouldn't rewatch them because their time is better spent elsewhere. But they are but still they, part they of the are, canon. They, and... they are still Star Wars. So you cannot say that politics is not Star Wars. But then, if you go back and watch A New Hope, every scene between Tarkin and Leia is politics. Every boardroom scene on the Death Star is politics. Like, yeah, there is so much politics in A New Hope. It's kind of funny. Uh. And so the, the the lack of politics in this movie did not feel Star Wars to me, if, if that makes sense. While the movie overall feels Star Wars, and I completely agree with that, um, I, I just – the lack of understanding of the world and the universe um, and the situation we're in, which is why I had to go seek out the situation because immediately I needed to know. I needed to make it make sense because when it comes to Star Wars, I am the queen of meta and rationalizing. I have made episode one, two, and three make sense. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it just – it shouldn't be that way in a movie. And either the scrawl should have set us up better or in the opening discussions between Poe Dameron and whoever that old dude is that they never name, there should have been some – little like throwaway line you know yeah. or some something you know so I, I guess this can tie into what i think um we'll see as a common thread in whatever criticisms we talk about here is i uh i definitely think that there are some valid criticisms of this movie i think that a lot of them are there a lot of them are things that i'm totally willing to give a pass for now to see how the rest of the trilogy plays out and could color this movie negatively or or not like it can lose points based on uh, on things later because if you go back and watch episode four by itself, there's a lot that just goes goes unexplained, and we get it. We get backfilled essentially. Um, and I'm willing episode to give it four explains its own politics. It, but right, right. it does so, get it does get back uh, addressed. You're right. There, there. Well, for one, M Empire retcons a lot of four, and we kind of just let that slide. Right. Um, so, and so, what so I, mean, though, I I completely agree that the next movie can fix this movie and or inform it right and so that said though um i also agree though that the opening crawl to four was super self-explanatory like 
it's like okay okay great um uh, exactly like you said there's the empire there's re the rebellion got it done like you know pretty pretty straightforward and this one as soon as you see there's three parties involved I, I mean i immediately did the thing where i started to think okay you know as someone who understands the empire probably didn't fall overnight you know one right. battle wasn't the end of things i get that there's probably multiple political uh giant political uh places in play like you know they it made sense to me for them to not want to have one over overruling political structure the way that they did in both of the previous trilogies you know so that's neat um, and I totally understood the idea that, okay, well, if the Empire's remnants still have significant force, then maybe you have some good guys on that side. Like, I actually, what, one of the scenarios you described where you have the kind of, the, uh, sort of the ceasefire between the two sides and this rebellion on the side, like, I kind of filled that in immediately in my head. Well, um, I mean, that was my immediate meta, which is not the reality when I went and, uh, sought out the, uh, auxiliary material. Yeah. Well, which um, we can talk about later, because we, but... But the big thing is, I, the fact that I can do that means that I'm willing to give it a pass until something goes one way or the other. Until something gets explained that I'm unhappy with, or I'm willing to give it a pass, I still think it could be better. And that's true, going to be true of a lot of my criticisms that I do have of the movie. Is there all things that it's like, okay, but because I can come up with three or four explanations, like, and during the movie felt like I could come up with plausible explanations and just didn't think about it for longer... I'm willing to give those passes. It's the one, it, the things that if I had gotten stuck on them, they would have discounted the movie. But instead, all of these things, which I, we, we will touch on, they are criticisms, criticisms I have. They never detracted from how much fun or how much I was enjoying the movie. Whereas, which is very similar to the original trilogy where, yeah, I can sit there and point things out, but I don't stop enjoying the movie while I'm doing it. Whereas the prequels, I would just sit there and scratch my head. Be like, wait, so why is this person doing X? What? Even with the explanations that are happening, it would pull me out. And I, it's one of these things that I've heard a lot of people say that I agree with, where there's always there are always issues with any movie that's kind of ambitious or dealing with a lot of a world rather than just a few characters. There are always going to be issues, and the level of buy-in we afford those issues, it basically, the movie, the movie can pull us into a certain degree, and then it kind of affects how much the same exact criticism matters to us in one movie or another, you know? Um, I, I guess, yeah. but that being said, I, I have felt it's a little un gosh, this is going to sound awful, unfair to the prequels. Um, because I have been able to, watching the movie, rationalize and meta everything in the prequels. Um, you know, almost everything in the prequels can be explained. Uh, and so if if I'm willing to do that to the prequels, of course I'm willing to do that to this movie. Uh, it just frustrates me when I listen to other people who are willing to do it for this movie and not the prequels. And yes, this movie is, as I've already said, better in every way that it's possible to be than the prequels. Um, it's just, you know, I, I don't yeah. know. Well, and, and the my argument there, not my argument, my what I would, my comment there would be that, yes, I can do it with the prequels too, except that I stop enjoying it because I'm doing it so much. Like I'm See, doing it I for so it. much. That, well, and, and there you, and that's, I guess the thing is, I think that in this, it's it was just periodic points here and there, whereas in the prequels, it's kind of the entire time that I'm doing it. They, like it was the it was kind of the inverse, where the parts that I was enjoying and could stop thinking about it or stop trying to justify what was happening on screen, those were the exceptions rather than the rule. While in this, it's the reverse. It, it's the, the times where I was sitting there, was like, oh well, how did that happen? Oh okay, eh, you know that seems to make sense to me. I can think of a couple of ways. On we go. Um, Whereas in the prequels, I was constantly just, but 
Uh, all that to be said, we should probably actually start talking about uh, Poe Dameron. Yes, well, and the opening crawl, uh, the opening crawl in general, and the opening music, um, which was something that actually was still good in the prequels. Um, it's hard to mess up John Williams. It it still feels like Star Wars, although missing the 20th Century Fox thing was weird. It was. It was weird. So, um, but yes, opens still feeling like Star Wars, and then is it is Poe the first one that we? So the the opening uh, crawl, you know, it tells us yeah. Luke Skywalker is missing. First Order risen oh, yes. in his uh, Luke Skywalker is missing. The First Order has risen in his absence, which is important, and I'm going to bring up later. Um, that General Leia uh, is trying to find her brother to deal with this problem, and so therefore she has sent her best pilot in the Resistance, right. Poe Dameron, yay, to go find an old ally. So this takes us to desert planet that is not Tatooine. Uh, and we see uh, Poe, or I think we may actually see BB-8 first. I can't remember now. Uh, but regardless, uh, Poe is having a meeting with this old dude who is never named, um, and uh, they are talking. Um, they're, they're handing off this the movie's MacGuffin, uh, you know, which in the original movie was Death Star plans, and in this movie is the map to Luke Skywalker. Uh, and uh the well actually when the movie opens it opens in space right and then it tracks down to the planet and it opens with the stormtroopers coming down uh and that takes us to poe uh and bb-8 sees the stormtroopers goes into poe and poe's like ah we gotta you know the old guy's like you need to run and take the plans away and i will stay and fight that's pretty much what happens yeah and um in that that whole scrum like we're introduced to poe we get that he's because the crawl tells us so, um, we know that he's a you know the best pilot in the resistance, um, or at least he's Leia's best pilot. Um, and stormtroopers come in, destroy them all. Uh, we see Kylo Ren in the same scene. So I really liked <laughs> this introduction to Kylo Ren. Yes, I thought it was very uh, impressive. Uh, he could do something we've never seen us. Anyone do before, which is a nice show of the progression of I don't want to say technology, but uh, force knowledge i guess yeah um and how the force arms race of sorts right he's been able to build off the things discovered by obi-wan anakin you know because in the prequels they discover the force ghost thing at the end right like and so then we have force ghosts in the original trilogy and in that and in the original trilogy we see um you know uh, anakin just like straight up absorbing laser bolts or darth vader right right um and in this, we see Kylo Ren stopping a uh, laser bolt, like a big one, which was yeah. which was pretty pretty cool. And I also want to point point out too that this uh, this is the scene that it's really cool that he does that. But the really the really neat thing to me too was how uh, it immediately set the tone in my mind for how they were going to affect to you to show the force via cinematography, um, because you have this sort of the way you know it pauses the bolt, but it's not just like paused is like vibrating you know which is a recurring thing the rest of the movie long is when the force is being used there's a lot of vibration when it's being used in some kind of tension you know um either something responds immediately because in the original trilogy you know when luke grabs his lightsaber it just kind of pops into his hand uh and when we see that and and things in the prequel trilogy things are much more fluid uh as well and so in this it added this sort of feeling of uh strain to the force uh, which I thought was neat. It was a different thing, which we see over and over again later on, uh, and I appreciate it as a kind of a different aesthetic choice. 
I mean, I, that strain in the Force is there in the original trilogies, um, to, to be fair to the original. Um, you know, when Luke's trying to get his uh, lightsaber on Hoth, uh, it, it's a strain. Uh, obviously, he's incapable of lifting the X-Wing, um, and we see it shake some and then sink back into uh, the Dagobah swamp. Oh, uh, I, I didn't mean strain in terms of effort. Like, I meant strain in terms of how they visually depict it. Just, I'm just talking visuals. Like, okay. the way that you see things vibrating a lot when they're when in this movie, when you have people... And we'll, I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about the people, you know, using mind force powers and so on in, in this. And anytime they do that, you see sort of this visual vibration kind of thing going on here, where... Whereas before, yeah, I mean, there were always scenes in the original trilogy where it's like, Luke is having trouble doing this. You can tell. Like, this is taking yeah. a lot out of it. So, yeah, so no, no argument. what's also interesting about this opening sequence is it introduces us to four main characters. Oh, yeah. um, BB-8, obviously. We cannot discount that BB-8 is a main character. No, not at all. Um, Poe Dameron, Kylo Ren, and Finn are yep. all in this scene. Uh, and no other uh, Star Wars movie, I feel like, has introduced so many important characters in one singular beginning scene. Uh, because in episode... What? We get pretty close. The original trilogy is Leia, R2-D2, and C-3PO. All of us. Well, right. and Darth Vader, actually. So you right, do but, sort of have... You know, but uh, this is two of the main character trilogy, if you will. Uh, not trilogy, trio. Yeah. Uh, right, because the the trio for this movie are Poe, right. Finn, and Ray, um, and and I and it not only did it introduce all of them, it introduced them well. Um, it gave us a feel. I mean, Poe is probably the character that by the end of the movie we still know the least about, but it's right. okay because I assume we're going to get more information about him in the future, right. um, and we're given enough information to like him. Uh, so we're given enough information right here to know that he's you know. Cocky doesn't really want not not cocky. No, cocky is not the right word. He's confident. Confident. Yeah. Um, he he doesn't really want to run away from this fight when the old man tells him to, but he realizes he the information he has been given is more important. Uh, but when of course he can't run away from the fight, he uh, stays and uh, deals with it. Um, and then of course his whole opening. Uh, conjecture not conjecture uh conversation with uh kylo ren is hilarious yes uh, do you talk first i talk first what uh what's uh an interesting possibility there too is if you think about it it's possible that poe knows kylo um from previous life for sure um, and that's a detail that they could choose to fill in for us later or just or not they could operate on the assumption that there's no relation right no there, there could be no connection or there there could there could be, you know, that's something that could or could not exist. And that scene could both be fine as it is. If this is their first meeting ever, that's still a great scene. Or if it turns out they know each other, that scene also, I feel like makes sense. And that scene also, it, it is one of those things that it, it establishes humor, which is great. Um, really pretty early because right up until then, there's a little bit of, it's pretty tense until then, right? Which, but then immediately we get that sense of that classic Star Wars humor, which is Although feeling a little bit more modern as well. Like that entire, that precise interaction isn't something that would have fit in in the original trilogy. Um, but it does fit in with movies now. So, And then, uh, of course, we have Finn doing his thing in the background pretty much of this whole sequence. Um, which is, he is told to kill this village and... And he doesn't. Doesn't. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing, a uh, movie thing they did that was a little bit heavy handed that a lot of people really like, and I've gone back and forth on is how, uh, Finn gets his mask, um, marked by a 
another stormtrooper, a dying one, that uh, in order to just have have it so he's easy for us to track, right? I mean, the, the entire point of that is for the audience to track him. It it was heavy handed. It did leave me trying to figure out how a stormtrooper's bloody hand is like. Did did his glove get burned off? Uh, I mean, he right. got shot. Did he like to try to catch the bolt, and so his 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 glove got burned off? Uh, and that that's the only thing that really. When I was watching it, I was like, "What happened to his glove?" <laughs> and, and that was exactly for me. I was like, "Wait, we've never actually seen stormtroopers bleed before, have we?" So, uh, no. so it, it it bugged me just a tad, but um, but not a ton, like not like crazy or anything. And I think um, I, I guess I would have liked it a little bit if we had seen more stormtrooper blood later. Right, but the fact that that was the only case of Stormtrooper blood in the entire series, mm-hmm. uh, including the prequels, which did, you know, have your clones, right. uh, and, and, you know, including, obviously, there's not a lot of blood in the Clone Wars uh, TV show that I know of because it's a children's TV right. show. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and so it's, very, it's, it's our first and only case of a Stormtrooper bleeding. Yeah, and, and that's, I guess, the rest of the movie, it fits well enough in that they do, and Finn is a part of it, but they do try and restore humanity to stormtroopers in this a lot. Which uh, is appreciated. Which, yeah, I very much appreciate it. I just wish that we had seen a little bit more blood instead of it being the one, in, like, if there had been three scenes with stormtrooper blood, I would have, I, I would just kind of dismiss my, this weird nagging feeling out of hand, but... Since there's not, I'm like, okay, please, please, a little bit more stormtrooper blood later. <laughs> so while while we're talking about stormtroopers, and because yes. uh, a scene not far off from this, um, it, it does skip over a little more Kylo Poe interaction. Um, but when Finn gets back to his um, star destroyer, right, um, and interacts with Phasma, who uh, is basically basically both Kylo and Phasma. Even though Phasma was not there, I assume uh, Kylo or somehow is reported uh, told her. Um, what Finn didn't do, right? Kylo noticed it on the ground. Um, and then, of course, uh, Phasma asks to see uh, Finn's weapon to determine if it was fired, I assume, and then basically tells him to to report to uh, some sort of reprocessing, reestablishing his brainwashing, whatever. Right. So I just want to take a little aside because I need to talk about it. Okay. Stormtrooper culture. Uh, because Finn's personality does not make sense to me. Um, so I, I have been, you know, reading the meta, reading the extra material, trying to make it make sense. Um, because this is someone who is basically, uh, kidnapped at a very young age. Uh, and when they pull up his file in the movie, they even show like almost like infant pictures, um, from his family raised as a stormtrooper, essentially, um, and is as far as we know brainwashed you know there seems to be like that's phasma's job right to to condition uh stormtroopers now i would assume this is some sort of 1984 level stuff but maybe maybe the first order doesn't quite have that level of finesse on their brainwashing uh but brainwashing as established in the star wars universe the only other time we've seen it that i can um recall is order 66 um which is, you know, all the clones are given this order and they immediately execute it. Uh, now, you could possibly make some argument that there's, I don't know, are brains programmable? Maybe clone brains are. 
I, I don't know. Or maybe it's a brainwashing and they're really quick, you know, training. But that's the closest thing we've seen to brainwashing that I know of, unless you know something else, Michael. No, uh, I mean, that's all. But for me, my the impression that I always had with Order 66 is because it, it was because they were clones. Like that they kind of knew what they were getting. And it was sort of a, well, if they're clones, then it's a reproducible result. You know, you can get the same thing. Whereas in this, they actually establish in the movie, based on having this sort of... Um, uh, procedure this protocol that this is a thing that happens periodically where they kind of fall out and they have to be reconditioned i mean of the, otherwise it no, wouldn't and, be a and, thing you know and and i agree with that my my problem is finn's personality yeah in what general has too much personality basically he has too much personality so how much freedom are stormtroopers given and i'm wondering about that as well i i'm one of the things and this is going to be a common theme uh as well further in the movie is i think that a lot of a lot of what we see from the First Order and its leadership, uh, including in this context, is it's basically they want to be the Empire but aren't very aren't as good at it. Is kind of the the thing that I that I see. So it's like okay, they're not using clones, but as far as I'm aware, they they had long not they had long stopped doing that by the time the original trilogy happened. So they have all this conditioning and so on, but you know it seems like especially even when you, later on when you hear the way that some of the other stormtroopers troopers talk to uh talk to him like they have just that little bit more in terms of individual personality and and i uh, and i agree with that my 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 thing with finn um is that it's it's not even that he has too much personality and, and maybe this is asking too much of this movie uh maybe it's going to we'll see it in episode eight okay. um, they've, they've alluded to some stuff in his background i feel like but which they could leave blank or fill out um it's really hard to throw off your culture. Um, and if Finn was raised in the First Order, while I will completely allow and believe that um, he would not want to kill and that would cause him to run away from the First Order, I completely buy that. Right. Um, it, it seems strange to me that he wouldn't view the Resistance as like, scum um or i, I agree that like what would the cantina talk be like what would the lunchtime conversations be like like it it feels like it should be some kind of toxic culture where even aside from the mechanical brainwashing whatever that is that they do that there should be a culture of distaste for right. the rebellion and, and i even so i'm, I'm with some you. way he had gotten extra knowledge and was like trying to unlearn the first order culture that's really hard to do yeah, in um, in real life, like you have people all the time, people who like realize that they're racist, and it's like okay, they have to work at it for a really long time right. to stop. You know, it's like... hard if if <laughs> if that's if that's what you're. I mean, that's why we have all of these like old racist grandparents, right? Like they're raised in a culture where they're told it's okay, and then it's not okay, and they may be trying to unlearn it, and they're trying hard, and you can see they're trying hard, but they're still they they can't. Uh, and this is not to excuse behavior, but they can't. Right. They can't, it's, it's so hard to unlearn that. And so it's almost like Finn, you know, the way he referred when he was talking to Han, you know, like he, he should have been disturbed by Han. I feel yeah, like he should think of um, him as like a terrorist. Basically. Yes. I, I almost feel like he should have tried to not, not to necessarily kill Han, but to protect Ray from Han as if he thought Han was like a terrorist. Yeah. And then um, maybe, and then they'd be like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, like then maybe he has that conscious moment. It's like, uh, oh, I have to remind right. myself. Right. Crazy. 
<laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, I already recognize the First Order is crazy, so my gut reaction is wrong. But his gut reaction should be wrong often. Right. Like, so I, I'm with you. I, essentially, it is that um, Finn, really the problem is Finn is so likable <laughs> to yeah, me. Like, I really, really, really likable. And he's just, he shouldn't be this likable yet. Right. I mean, like, I love is, Finn. I love yeah. Finn. But yeah, I, but I, I, I almost... really like it. Like, he's, he is one of my favorite Star Wars characters, period, at this point. Like, I just like him a lot. And it's just, I, do, I feel like it's wrong that I like him this much right now, already, you know? It, like, it's just his, his starting off point as a character didn't make sense. And I feel like if this was his personality in episode eight, I would have been like, cool. He, he's like been in the resistance. He's been unlearning that weird, like crazy first order stuff we saw in seven. Right. But none of that was there. So, and I'm fine with just like accepting whatever headcanon that's going to help me get through the rest of the trilogy. But, you know, when it came to them making this movie or, you know, a criticism of this movie that... Uh, didn't stop me from enjoying it it's just been making me dive into the uh extra materials and actually learning about stormtrooper culture um which you know is all explained in uh you know books that may or may not be canon uh <laughs> <laughs> i you know it, it, it's just something they could have done different in this movie that i felt like would have been better um and yeah. made more sense and again that's one of those things i noticed it as well and it was one of those mm, i feel like he should not be i mean it's weird that his his default behavior is to grab Ray's hand and to like, like be super protective. I feel like that's not a thing that he would have been raised with. Especially since there but... were female stormtroopers and female officers. That that was another thing that uh, sort of bothered me about Finn. And all, it's funny because Finn, after like the first half hour, doesn't bother me anymore because I just accepted this personality. Right. And again, so... that's, yeah, yeah, it's just we like him. Uh, lot, so. But when he meets Ray, it, he almost behaves like a 12-year-old who's met a girl for the first time. And uh, none of that, that that doesn't make sense to me for a couple of reasons, because one, there are female stormtroopers. Uh, two, there are female officers. So even if he never saw a stormtrooper out of stormtrooper armor, um, like he never saw Phasma's face or he never saw a female stormtrooper's face, there are female officers. So he's seen females and you're like, oh, well, but they're all like, you know, emotionless and badass. Well, so is Ray. Like Ray has no emotions I... at the beginning. So the impression I got from it was more of a, you know, the very first time he sees her, he goes to run to her aid. And there's no reason to think that that's because she's a woman rather than just a person that they're after, you know, like uh, there's no. But then as soon as he starts to interact with her, there's that. And he mentions it later. There's that whole once once she thinks he's with the rebellion or the resistance. Wait, is it resistance? Yeah. Resistance. Yeah. Rebellion. There's no rebellion. Okay. Uh, So he's with the when she thinks that she immediately kind of like she has that brief like awe moment like she's kind of in awe of him because he's in the resistance and she's sort of starstruck you know well and i completely buy that because ray's never socialized with people so right exactly and so (laughs) i think it's that feeling like it's her immediate reaction there that he gets hooked on and that's why he treats her differently like that because he says it too is like she looked at him in a way that nobody else had so i don't think it's the girl lovey-dovey thing i think it's that bit like where nobody else would have even if he was with women in like like women were around him if they did have the kind of culture that we, you and I are saying that they probably should have, they, nobody would be impressed with him. Like, there's no reason for them to look at him that way, you know? And so that's kind of what, it, the sort of way, the same way, if you think about it, like, he and Poe hit it off like crazy, like, from the get-go, and they have Very very lost. little, maybe. That's, a, that's <laughs> it's open. They've, they've got either an actual romance or a bromance going on, we'll, you know. Either one, but, you know, and that's established with very little interaction between them, but it's well, I, a genuine I mean, interaction. 
So you know, I do want to take I would I do want to take a moment to talk about Pofin, but you know before we get to Poray much more. But okay. um, uh, but yeah, I, I guess in the Po in no in the Finn Ray thing, I guess the only thing that really bothered me is when he asked her if she had a boyfriend back on Jakku. Oh one, yeah, yeah. Boyfriend is a very not Star Wars word. Uh, I've never heard that word thrown around in Star Wars before, <laughs> and so I was like, wow, that's a really like modern i guess word not that that's a modern word that word's been long around for a long time but a modern, a very, it's, it's not a long long time ago in a galaxy right it, it's a very right. it's 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 an american word in, in star wars that has never been in star wars before and two like i i don't know it is it, it just that that kind of felt like 12 year old boy to me which you know maybe finn because he's been in the sheltered stormtrooper society we can argue whatever but uh going back to uh poe finn um i think Poe is just a nice guy. Yes. Uh, we literally see him be nice to every, like, except for Kylo, who he even starts out in a joking, like, like the thing he says, his first sentence to Kylo, like, I talk first, you talk first, actually is something that, like, you could say to your friend. It's not offensive. You right. know, like, um, so I think Poe is just a really great guy. And then, um, so he just sees this lost stormtrooper who, who wants to get away and so, of course, he's going to do everything he can to, like, take him under his wing, even if he's just totally being used by the stormtrooper, right? Which which Finn admits, you yeah. know, he just needs a pilot. Um, and, of course, it's completely possible Finn's never had anyone be nice to him yes. in that kind of way. So, of course, Finn's going to follow Poe around like a lost puppy, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that made complete sense to me that this bromance or, you know, romance, however we want to, you know see how that goes uh that made complete sense to me along with ray you know being enamored with finn because it's very similar right ray yeah. has never really had anyone be nice to her and suddenly finn is kind of it's almost like that goodness it's almost like finn is like poe did this thing for me and i'm paying it forward to ray yeah but then at the same time Poe did this thing to me, which is why I like him a lot. Now Ray is giving me this other positive feedback where she kind of like looks at me in admiration in a way that Poe didn't, you know, and and that also is significant to him, which is why I can totally buy him latching on to the first two people he's interacted with. Like, right, because outside of a, his uh, Stormtrooper cohort. Right, right, exactly. And so so that's why I, like, I don't have any problem with that. I am with you, though. The boyfriend comment was weird, but... But I can totally see him, like, I don't see it as a, well, but there are women around and he's starstruck because it's a woman. It's like more, like, no, it's it's kind of a similar thing to his reaction to Poe. Like, either way, you know, it, it's, to me, it's just, these are genuinely nice people and he's being treated in a different way than he's been treated before. And that will go a long way for him. So, uh, so I, I didn't really bat an eye at that. I was like, okay, yeah, that's cool. Um, but, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, also, so I, I guess we... What have we, we've skipped past, I we guess. We skipped that... Kylo and Poe, um, Kylo stealing the information he needs directly from Poe's mind. Right. Which I do like um, a lot because we saw in the original movie when uh, Leia successfully resists Vader's interrogation. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a way to make Kylo seem scary and also to remind us that Leia is really significant. And also that I think, um, you know, Leia is force sensitive. And I think that yeah. does, you know have a play in this because poe as far as we know is not and i would think if he was they would know by now i mean he's been around leia possibly even luke poe is the oldest out of the uh new characters i i actually looked up the canonical ages um mm -hmm. 
and uh, he is older than Kylo. Um, and actually, he was born, um, <laughs> extra knowledge known by Mandy because she reads the comics, uh, he was born before Return of the Jedi. Okay, cool. So he is by far the oldest. Uh, so, which is just to say, if he was Force-sensitive, I think he would already have known. Yeah. So Poe, so, I think it's safe to say, is not. Yeah, so I Poe is, he's a, he's a great pilot, and presume, and seems to be a great guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's, that's all we need from him. Um, he, uh, this movie doesn't use him a lot, but it uses him well, I think, to set him up for the next movie. I, I, um, yeah, I assume he'll have a larger role in the next movie. Uh-huh. Um, and, and in a way, it's almost like he's the, uh, the Princess Leia of this movie. Not to directly correlate them in the sense of their characters, but if you think about A New Hope, uh, Princess Leia's in some distinct sequences, uh, but most of the movie is about Luke and Han. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, while most of this movie is about Ray and Finn, uh, Poe is utilized in the, you know, the same distinct ways that, uh, almost that Leia was, you know, he's at the very beginning of the movie to kind of set the tone. Uh, then he comes in kind of at the, you know, little over halfway point, like they, you know, saved Leia from the, uh, Death Star. And then, you know, Poe shows up at the resistance base, not dead. Ah. Um, and, uh, both of them, Leia and Poe are the person who owns the droid that they're trying to, you know, right. get back to. to. So, um, and obviously we got a lot more of Leia in the second movie. So I have high hopes we'll get a lot more Poe in the next movie. And we'll get to it. But there is a very particular person who, uh, who spent a lot of screen time in this movie who won't be around in the next movie. So, uh, so what, what? I said sniff, sniff, like yeah. sad, you know. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Poe, I think, personality-wise, fits a lot of the same, same kind of movie role. Uh, uh, though I, I think it's something to be said that Poe is not, he's confident, but not arrogant. He's, yeah. he's not actually a rogue. Um, so he's just a really good guy who is a great pilot. It's almost like, what if Luke Skywalker had been raised as a pilot, like, in the Resistance his whole life. Not to say that Poe's Luke Skywalker, because he's not, but Luke is a really great guy, you know? Uh, whereas, uh, let's just say it, Han uh, <laughs> did not start out as a really great guy, yeah. right? I-, I think that's the thing that this movie in general does, is it draws a lot of obvious similarities between new characters and old ones without any of them being the same. Um, and, I-, I mean, they're all overlap because people are like that. People remind us yeah. of other people, you know? I mean, um, I'm just going to say, my heart belongs to Poe Dameron because he reminds me a lot of Wedge Antilles. <laughs> well, there you go. Since, uh, <laughs> since Wedge isn't in the movie, that's why he exists. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, there is, no, there is no character who is the same as Luke. I mean, Luke is Luke, but he's not, you know... Uh, <laughs> Luke is the same as Luke, except uh, he's not. <laughs> except he's not, right. Uh, there is no... None of the new characters are the same as Luke. None of them are the same as Leia. None of them are the same as Han. You know, they're... They're all their own characters, which I think is great. Um, so back to the movie. Yes. Uh, so we have the, the torture scene, eventually the escape. Um, the really funny exchange between, uh, you know, when Finn frees Poe and is like, well, you know, why are you doing this? Because it's the right thing to do. Like, oh, you needed a pilot. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> I needed a pilot, <laughs> uh, which is great. Um, and even just the humor in which they almost didn't make it out, it seems very much like a Han and Chewie in the Millennium Falcon kind of situation, you know, where it's like the machine is failing them or they overlooked something, either one. 
can happen, yeah. you know? And, and I was kind of like, you know, why wouldn't you have your TIE fighters tied down? Like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I liked that. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. It made total sense. And, it was and like, then I was oh. like, of course Poe wouldn't know to check for it because he's been flying X-Wings, which probably don't get tied down for whatever reason. And, you know, like, yeah. he's never and been on a Star Destroyer before. And Finn isn't a tie. Uh, he, he doesn't fly tie fighters. He's he not knows a pilot. Nothing about that's why. That's why he needed a pilot. So <laughs> yeah. So, um, so then they try to went. escape. Then they try to. Well, they try to escape, and then they do escape. They well, uh, escape on the Jakku, the planet where dreams die. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So they they escape onto Jakku. Um, I, I guess we can skip forward a little bit. We do get introduced to. Um, the the two of them get split up and i'm i'm fine with that i mean i it would have been nicer to kind of i don't feel like it was reasonable for anybody to think that poe was dead because his body wasn't there so um i think that was fine it's like okay clearly he was also in the trailer in later scenes so oh well i didn't watch the i i avoided as much trailer material as i could so um but i you know finn thought he was dead but i was like okay his jacket's there but his body's not clearly he's alive somewhere mm-hmm. you'll find him <laughs> um but uh, I liked to. Uh, what was it? Um, when we're introduced to the Ray. When were we introduced to Ray? It was about here where we were introduced to Ray. Uh, I I think during the Finn Poe sequences, um, they're interspersed with BB-8 discovering Ray sequences. Okay. Well, my favorite thing about the introduction to Ray though was her whole kind of spelunking through, you know, a star destroyer. Um, kind of thing because it 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 does a really quickly establishes a bunch of competence that without saying anything to us it's like okay she's clearly on her own doing all of this you know she knows how to scavenge around in in this machinery she's not scared to to do things that you and i would find dangerous Um, Mm -hmm. i would never do that (laughs) uh yeah neither would i so so that was neat to me um there's a lot of introduction of her kind of being on her own we see her with the uh she she clearly has some kind of rom- she romanticizes the you know the rebellion a bit yeah uh, because... she she even had an x-wing fighter pilot doll yeah she had a doll an x-wing fighter pilot doll she has a helmet that she puts on when once she's like satisfied she's actually pretty content with her life um which is neat i think it's not it's very different from luke who is he wants whiny. to leave yeah i mean why, luke was a, a whiny teenager in the original um which fits his character fine Ray is definitely not a whiny teenager, but she's like, eh, I'm here. I'm waiting for somebody. Um, somebody in, I probably in, in that be. way, um, she's a lot uh, more nicer, I would say, than this character. But Ray has a lot of uh, Katniss in her, I would say. Because, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Katniss, never, she never wanted to overthrow anybody. She was just living her life, and she was happy living her life and, you know, doing whatever. Um, and so Ray is that kind of, you know, self-sufficient, like, you know... Yes, she might have little daydreams of romanticizing whatever these pilots are, which is mostly, I think, because she probably enjoys flying. Um, right. It, but w- she doesn't actually want to leave Jakku. And while I'm sure she would enjoy more food, <laughs> uh, you know, that this is her life. And it's been her life, as we discover in the flashback, for a long time. Yeah. Because um, not, not to skip ahead, but briefly – the the person holding her arm in the flashback is very clearly the guy uh, she's selling stuff to um, to get her rations, uh, which is also Simon Pegg. Um, I was going to say that Simon Pegg. But so you know, not that this guy is a father figure at all, but he's the authority that's been in her life for a long time. 
Yeah, exactly. And and the thing is, you can also see that she's pretty bummed at the at the ration she gets. Like mm-hmm. she's like, fine, you know, that's all I get. Okay. Uh, and then she eats it. And also that that bread, I want that bread so bad. I want to be able to make instantaneous bread. Yeah, I want that? the instantaneous bread. Just like pop it on a uh, onto a thing, and it just oh man, so much better than blue milk, right? Oh uh, no, I love blue milk. I want both. I want blue milk and instantaneous bread. Okay, fine. We can have both. <laughs> I mean, what else are you gonna drink with your instantaneous bread? You know, you milk. make a fair point. You make a fair point. I re- I retract my statement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Anyway, I, I think the setup with her was really, really good. Um, and it's not, you know, yeah, I, I guess I just don't I really have much criticism as far as how she's introduced and stuff. I think it's really great. Um, I think that her her and BB-8 running into each other was pretty fun because she's like truly treats BB-8 well. She's like, hey, you know, go over there, do your thing. And then but then I... she's like, why are you sticking to me? I think it's very clear she regards BB-8 as a person. Yes, um, exactly. Which is, of course, why she's not willing to um, sell him. Right. Uh, or her, or it, BB-8. I don't know. Uh, doesn't doesn't Poe call him a him? Does he? I, I don't know. I may be making that up. I think he calls him a him. But I, because I was thinking about that during the movie. It was like, I want to try and not think of BB-8 as a guy or a girl until somebody says something. Uh, I, I, I will have to watch that for the next time I go see it, because you know I will go see it again. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and another interesting thing, um, she's the first character we ever meet who understands droid. <laughs> like, uh, yes, I mean, Luke had to read readouts of R2-D2 um, to know what he was saying, other than, like, you know, the obvious, like, sounds that were very clearly disproving or approving you know and then i'm trying to think about anakin and r2 if anakin understood r2 um i i cannot remember for the life of me because i try to avoid watching attack of the clones with all my fiber of my being Mm -hmm. um but an interesting thing about ray that was very um not too subtle but they didn't hit you over the head with it is she didn't meet a single character in the movie she couldn't understand and right. I don't know if that's force related um, or what, but she could understand BB-8, which, you know, Finn couldn't um, because BB-8 speaks droid. And uh, she could understand Wookiee. Um, to me, the, uh, the thing is, that for, for me, the thing that get, got it is I just felt like it didn't matter because I was like, okay, clearly there are other characters who don't understand these. And we know that she's grown up in this area basically selling scavenged parts. So I, I just assume she's had to do business with everybody that like that just i like i didn't even we've just never seen that level of fluency i feel like in star wars before except for from like a droid like c3po like c3po understands everyone but the the reason why c3po exists is to To translate things um and you know yes anakin spoke uh what is it hatties and uh common uh basic actually uh but that's because he grew up on a planet ruled by huts uh, so that makes complete sense. Um, Leia, as far as I know, doesn't actually, is never seen on screen speaking other languages. Uh, and then Han understands Wookiee, uh, though. Uh, well, and, and Leia understands Wookiee now. Like, she, she learned Wookiee at some point, right? During the original trilogy, maybe? I, I, I would she, say that's fair. Because I think she communicates with Chewie, like, plenty during the latter two movies of the original trilogy. That's, that's probably fair. I think Luke picks it up, too. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just a level of fluency that I feel like 
is unusual. And if it's not a plot point, then that would be interesting. It's almost like Harry speaking uh, uh, parcel tongue, tongue, right? Yeah. Like, is, is this the Star Wars equivalent of parcel tongue? She can understand everyone? Is she the chosen one? <laughs> well, I mean, clearly she is, but we, <laughs> uh, we'll get to that. So we have the whole thing where I, I guess the characters all get connected. We already talked about um, Finn and Ray getting connected. And They're running. running away with BB-8. Um, and, they, uh, they, and then we get introduced to a particular ship. And that yeah. piece of trash. That was great. I because as soon as they said that piece of trash, I'm like, oh no, it's the Millennium Falcon. Is like, like I, I was like, what? Why else would you even mention a piece of trash ship off the off the side, you right? Know? And not show it on screen. Like it was right. obviously the Millennium Falcon. Um, but yeah, and then they get on the Millennium Falcon and they fly away. But of course, they have some problem that I can't remember what the it was called, but it was going to cause them to be poisoned. Wasn't it a compressor? Was it a compressor? No, oh, no, no. The compressor was the thing that was limiting them in hyperdrive. That's what right. they fixed later on. Because the compressor yeah. was some, for some ungodly reason, rerouted in a way that would affect the hyperdrive. Who would ever do that? Um, <laughs> but no, there was something else that was in the floor that they were fixing because if they didn't fix, they were going to be poisoned. Right. Um, and so this is my first um, plot problem with the movie. Not not that they're fixing the thing. I, or. I, not plot I, problem. Let's go with J.J. Abramism. One, one of the, so hold on. Before you get to it, I'm going to say, so there are a bunch of issues, which I think are ve very legitimate issues that come at the cost of, which is, so as someone who does like J.J. Abrams, but admits that he has some problems, um, one of his problems is that things always need to be happening, so there's never time for sufficient gaps. So sometimes things happen closer together than they probably should, um, if I think is where you're going. But so yes there, there there's two things here and one of them is that um and uh the other is the uh so jj abrams does not understand time or space right um so they are leaving jeku but they did not go into hyperspace finn and ray that i know of right uh i don't uh, yeah, I don't think, so. I, I think they I've just seen get out of atmosphere. Twice. They just get out of atmosphere. They're sitting up there. They're trying to fix this problem, right? right? And uh, they just fix it when something else gets onto them. And of course, they think it's the First Order. They're still in the Jakku orbit, right? right. Like, the First Order is literally there. Um, and But when Han picks them up, because this is Han, not, right. not Stormtroopers, like they think it's going to be, uh, he acts like they're not at Jakku, and he's just because because they say Jakku and he's like surprised um, and he acts like he picked them up from some beacon on the Falcon. But the Falcon's only been in space for like, I don't know, two hours. Um, so either Han was hanging out in Jakku or very nearby, but this is a recurring problem in the movie, that yeah. it doesn't take time to get anywhere. And normally, I wouldn't care in a sci-fi movie, because I don't actually care in-universe, if it makes sense. The thing is, is that it doesn't actually make sense in-universe, because in the original trilogy, it's very clearly shown it takes a long time to get places. Because right. uh, they, they sit on the Falcon and play chess, and you know have force lessons, and have whole discussions about theology. Um, in the first movie while just going to Alderaan. Yeah. And, and I, so I'm with you entirely on this. I think uh, the implication is that there's some other, not quite the speed of light thing, except that it would have to be, you'd have to be faster than the speed of light to get anywhere significant. Right. Right. 
Because if you travel at the speed of light from, like, Earth, even at the speed of light from Earth towards Mars, it's still going to take you a while to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so, again, it's it's the whole, the scale thing is not calculated. Um, so, yeah, and they don't Im- indicate that they take the hyperdrive at, at all, or they use the hyperdrive, so it's like, uh, I, I'm very confused. Uh, yeah, I can't really explain that. But, I think that's a problem. Uh, and I think it's a problem of them needing a whole bunch of things to happen rapid fire. Right. Whereas if they had more time in the movie, they could have spent three minutes showing them killing time before it breaks down or and, made a jump. And, and I think the thing that annoys me about it in particular, slight Mandy J.J. Abrams rant, is that he just clearly doesn't care, J.J. Abrams, yeah. when any nerd in this nation with literally J.J. Abrams could call them, ask for advice. They would not need money. They would not need credit. They would just do it. Like, you know, my boss, who literally just like in passing cares about Star Wars because it's popular culture, would advise J.J. Abrams if he asked it. You know, like everyone would help him if he if he just asked. And he doesn't care. And it makes me angry because it destroyed Star Trek Into Darkness. It destroyed it. And, you know, here we have it happening in Star Wars. And this is not the only case of it and not the worst case. No, it's not the worst Just the first case. case. And so it's just like, why, JJ? Why don't you care? This is real. And And he's the kind of person who tries to make an argument, well, if you can believe in the Force, you can believe in whatever. But... I'm talking about but this is simple universe enough rules that have already been set up. Like you just ignored like how long it takes to get to Alderaan in, you know, the very first movie or, you know, Luke trying to plot a course to Dagobah from, you know, Hoth. Like right. you, you the, ignored the basic, all that. The basic issue is that there isn't, it, he uses, chooses really weird times to just ignore having any kind of rigor to the establishment, which Again, in this movie, I like the movie so much that it really doesn't bother me that much, except that it's still a, you know, this would not have been very difficult at all for you to fix in a way that wouldn't have bothered anybody. Right. And and the thing that doesn't make it make sense in the context of the movie, aside from the continuity issue with the old movies, is that Han acts surprised that they're from Jakku, when I'm pretty sure they're still in the orbit of Jakku. Uh, Well, one of the things that I, one of the impressions I got for that, um, and again, this is a headcanon thing, could be completely wrong. But the thing that I was getting was that Han, Han and Chewie have their whatever lock thing that just tells us whenever the, the Millennium Falcon's active and it just hasn't been active, you know? And so they just basically jump to it rather than jumping to, like, bothering to figure out where they're jumping to. That sounds incredibly um, dangerous. It does, but it's Han and Chewie, so... That's... <laughs> you so, know, like... <laughs> Han and Chewie. Um, we're going to have to... Spoiler horn here. But, um, so what I'm supposed to believe here in the movie, the first time in the movie, this definitely threw me out. The second time, I at least had a better understanding. Han has gone back to smuggling and is apparently a worse person now, um, which I found hard to believe. Uh, now, I do completely believe that, spoiler horn, (laughs) essentially the death of your child would cause you to have a midlife crisis that would cause you to throw off. I mean, in a lot of, you know, statistically, in a lot of marriages where a child dies, the, the couple does get divorced. Right. Um, so that makes complete sense to me. Not not that their child is dead, but going to the dark side is... Um, a, a major loss in, in uh, your life related yes. to your child. Um, but the, the thing that was hard for me to stomach and the thing I felt like... Uh, 
Han as a smuggler, um, he wasn't actually screwing people over. Like in A New Hope, the reason why he dumped his cargo, the reason why Jabba was after him was because he got boarded. Otherwise, Han would never have done that because that's a terrible business model, right? Right. But, uh, and yes, he shot Greedo first, but this was definitely a situation. It was um, self-defense. Even if the guy didn't fire first, it was still self-defense. Right. It it was definitely a case of this guy's out to get me. Uh, Well, and if you watch the movie, the guy, I mean, he basically says, I'm going to shoot you. Is essentially what gets said. Uh, And yes, I do, you know, fully believe that Han, still a rogue, still on the outside of the law, you know, not necessarily an entirely good person at the beginning of four, but there's a difference between being a good person and being good at business in the business you're in. And I always believed that Han was a good businessman, a little bit of a gambler, but a good businessman. And um, that those those that is not what I saw in this movie. I saw well, see, Han was terrible. A guy who had written business. off his life. I, I saw a guy who's like, I'm just going through the motions now because why, whatever, I've got nothing else to do. And essentially somebody with somewhat of a suicide, like, you know, like a. So he like, was purposefully screwing people over, hoping they would kill him? Not, not quite, but the way that like very much, very much not caring about his own well-being anymore is like, ah, eh, whatever. But also like, is he screwing, he's screwing away, screwing over other criminals, right? Presumably, but yeah, I mean, so, Han is one of them, and you know, I, I said other. I didn't say just criminals. <laughs> like, I, um, I don't know that that I, it was just weird to me, and you know, if it upset if, me, but I I bought it pretty easily. It just upset me because I would love for Han to have been able to settle down and not. Well, you know, the thing is, is if Han was going to go back to his criminal element, I. I almost wish that he had been Maz in this movie. Um, the one owning a cantina, you know, just like oh. doing whatever, you know, like, I don't care about my life. I'm far away from Leia. I'm just, you know, here to like party all the time, guys, party all the time. Uh, but uh, not that Maz was party all the time, but cantina, you know, a bar, whatever. I, I could totally see Han as like, you know, space bartender. Um, and not to say that he can't be a smuggler again, but he's, that's not what he was doing. He's like, I don't know, living so far on the edge that you're, you're right. It is like he wants to die or doesn't care about his life. Um, but I don't know. I've just never seen Han as someone who's screwing people over like that. Even, and I, it just, it was very weird to me. Um, I, I th- well, but that's the thing, right? Is they talk about like, there aren't that many people that you can do this with. And the thing is like, keep in mind the part of the reason for all those smugglers was the empire, right? I am part of why they needed so many or why presumably the smuggling economy was, uh, was rich was because of the empire outlaws all my stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. And so I would think that now there's just a lot less need for it with the Republic. So, and but so, I like, think that's not true like... because the, the reality of the political situation is it's a bunch of factions. So I think Maybe smuggling so. is probably still in existence because if you live in the empire, not necessarily the first order, but if you live on an Imperial planet and the Republic has whatever, and you don't get it, you want that. And it might work vice versa, right? Like, you know, I don't know, Nazis secretly living in Argentina who might want like former Nazi artifacts, uh, you know, so like 
Imperials living in the Republic who might want something from an Imperial planet that they can't buy in the Republic Maybe. because it's considered outlaw. I, I still think there's probably, I mean, we still have smugglers in America. Um, you know, there's still a black market. Um, right, right. But I'm saying that I think more and more of your business would be with outlaws and so on. Like, whereas, you know, you could find people who aren't necessarily criminals who need smuggling work. And so not all of the work, whereas now it kind of like shifts things. So maybe he's not screwing over everybody he's doing work for, but, or anything like that, but more and more and more of his work is going to be with the CD element. Um, versus before, a lot more people were being oppressed. You know, like, it, it, I mean, I'm, again, this is all headcanon. We don't need to, we're spending too much time on this, I think. So, well, I mean, I, my issue, to say my that issue I think with it's it not super comfortable. is, of course, it sets Han's character off weirdly. But, two, I think the entire scene with the two criminals coming in to, you know, accost Han and then the animal in Han's uh, ship that's released and starts, like, eating Cargo everyone hold, yeah. was completely unnecessary and gratuitous. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a scene that could have been removed and used for exposition on a few other things that we right. needed. Right, a, a scene that could have been used for actual character development, but but this is another slight J.J. Abrams, that he, he sacrifices constant moving motion. Um, he sacrifices character development for constant moving motion right. um, when it doesn't always make sense. And so it was just kind of like this filler scene that uh, when I saw this movie the second time, this is one of the scenes that made me bored because there was nothing extra to observe. There was nothing extra to learn. Like I already knew Ray was good with, uh, you know, mechanical stuff. And there are other scenes that establish that. I already knew that in any situation, Finn's probably going to be the one who's going to be grabbed by a tentacle. Let's be honest. You know, um... like... And I would say that uh, the only thing that I could go for, and it, it's the it's why the choice is made rather than justifying the choice, because I'm with you. I think I would rather excise that scene and, and use the time for other things. But I think that uh, that the argument, you know, on first viewing is I think that there are a bunch of people who it kept interested in terms of general public who maybe would have gotten a little bit. It was an action I mean, scene. But that I, kept I, dis- people I disagree. This is Star Wars, like. This goes back to another discussion I've had that um, J.J. Abrams didn't need to direct this movie. Now, I'm fine with the fact that he did, and, you know, it is what it is. But I'm saying is you didn't need a name to direct this movie. This is Star Wars. Okay, episode three still made a crap ton of money after two horrible movies. Like, Attack of the Clones was the nadir of Star Wars. And episode three still made a ton of money. It's true. This movie was always going to make a ton of money. It was always going to be butts and seats. J.J. Abrams' name brought nothing to bringing people and putting them in seats. Unlike Star Trek, we can make a whole argument about why Star Trek actually needed a big-name director, um, though I may disagree with what J.J. Abrams did with the franchise. Star Wars did not need that. And so to say that you needed an action sequence to keep these people who already the, – the, the movie literally sold out opening weekend before it came out – these people I'm, don't need to I'm not be. saying it's the right I'm not saying it, it's a good argument. I'm just saying that I think that that's what the rationale is behind that. Is that's I think that's why he tries to keep things just constantly moving is to avoid Cuz he has no faith in in people. I understand. Yes. That I mean that's essentially what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh anyway, so so we have that whole scene and we go on to uh like um I I mean there is the whole I guess the introduction, of course we saw it spoiled in like that first trailer, I think. Where uh, Han and Chewie, you know, Chewie Han goes, Chewie, yeah. yeah, we're home, uh, which was pretty great. Um, I, I think that once they do get onto the Millennium Falcon, I really, really loved all the interactions between. 
basically every single interaction between Han and Rey for the entire movie, I love. One of the um, things I appreciate about older Han is that I feel like he's basically Harrison Ford. Yeah. He's old, ornery, doesn't really want to seem like he cares, but does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and he clearly likes Ray a lot. Uh, and he's like, uh, the, the, one of the, my favorite scenes in the entire movie is when he gives Ray a gun or a blaster. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, I don't need a blaster. I can take care of, take care of myself. He's like, that's, that's why I'm giving this to you. <laughs> he's like, I know. Like, he's like, I wouldn't like, have given it to you if, you if I didn't trust you to use it. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's, it's like, this is why I'm giving you a weapon. And, and I, I like not that, that Finn character. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny, of course, because he's a stormtrooper. Because Finn's the one who could use it. Yeah, and I completely also, um, I've had this discussion with other people. I, I do believe in Han adopting Rey and to a certain extent Ben um, because this is someone who essentially lost his son and, and his family as a result right and it, it, it's the opposite of someone of daddy issues right it's someone with you know baby issues uh, they're they're you know why someone with daddy issues is always looking to like replace you know that that relationship uh, Han is is looking to give this you know fatherly love he has to somebody and he can't give it to you know kylo uh so uh here's this lost child who undoubtedly and i don't want to say too much about this because i don't buy into all of these things reminds him of luke uh when she gets to the new planet and says i've never seen this much green like oh of course she I, she reminds him of yeah that is yeah. undoubtedly probably the exact same thing luke said upon seeing yavin 4 like i know that wasn't in the movie but you could imagine that sentence coming out of luke's mouth and like the relationship between Han and Luke in the original trilogy was very close. Like they are best friends. And I, and I don't think people appreciate that enough. Um, so Luke leaving, while I'm sure Han is mad at Luke and like blames Luke for what happened to his son. I'm sure a part of him, like also there's a hole where Luke used to be and Ray fills both. She fills the daughter hole and fills the, the Luke hole. Um, And so, of course, he would want to invite her to be on the Millennium Falcon. She is the Venn diagram of Kylo and Luke. Like, yeah, Han doesn't want her to leave. <laughs> I, I, I think, I mean, yeah, I have no, nothing to add. I agree with you entirely on that. Um, so, I, I guess, yeah, at this point, they they go to, um, they find out that the map's incomplete, right? Because they actually see BB-8's map. And uh, and then they see that they go to the planet that Maz is on, right? Um, which is when the gun handoff happened. And um, of course, Finn wants to leave because he wants to run away. He thinks he's that not actually up- in the resistance. He's not actually in the resistance. Um, I love Han's lines. Like, look, they're she's gonna find out. Like, the, women <laughs> have a way of finding out. And and I love that they don't they don't drag that out the rest of the movie. No, you know, like and that like, Ray is not mad when. He yeah. felt her because that that is an old trope that always makes me angry. Cause, me too. Because <laughs> so many people are actually understanding of these situations. Like a different but similar trope is always the trope of someone who gets mad when they discover in the story that the person they're dating is secretly a prince or whatever. Like I'm so mad you didn't tell me. Like really you didn't understand why they didn't tell you. Like and right. Ray being who she is and and like not having had relationships before and having a relationship for the first time with Ben and you know han she doesn't want to lose finn you know so and she's like oh okay she is willing to let him go she's not gonna chase him down because she's too independent for that uh 
she's not going to get great, mad at way. him over this resistance thing because you know it kind of makes sense yeah exactly he's like well yeah i probably would have just hit him if he wasn't with the resistance you know <laughs> like like let, let's be fair what was the situation in which he told me that <laughs> you know me, uh, Ray and BB-8 were basically trying to kill him, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, so, so I really like that. I loved, like, I just breathed a big sigh of relief when they didn't drag that out because I was so, I was getting preemptively irritated at the idea of them dragging <laughs> that out because that's how I thought it was going to go. Yeah, And I'm glad too. they didn't. So, uh, so that, that was great. Uh, the, so the lightsaber reveal, how do you feel about that? Um, so before we get to the lightsaber. Okay. Uh, Maz is. Uh, I really appreciated that she thinks Chewbacca is her boyfriend. I uh, yes. thought that was hilarious, and uh, love that. Uh, especially since she's so old, she's supposed to be like a thousand years old, and of course Chewbacca is pretty old too. Um, so I was like, yeah, I could see that. Um, <laughs> not that that would ever actually work out, because I'm sure Chewie doesn't actually like her. Um, in but, that way. In that way. Uh, and I'm sure she would never actually settle down either. It's just like, she's kind of like, where's my hot Wookiee, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, they're clearly, like, I've heard grandmas say things like that. Right. And yeah. uh, I uh, liked the, you know, I, I know this movie was trying to parallel A New Hope a lot, um, but the cantina scene added in didn't really bother me. Um, the music was here enough. was actually not written by John Williams. It was written by Lynn Manuel Miranda, who wrote Hamilton, uh, which is why I know that. Um, and uh, yeah, and so you basically have this kind of like Casablanca-ish place, right? Like where right. there's bounty hunters, there's resistance, possibly first order. Um, and uh, Maz is just like, I serve them all, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, then then going forward to the lightsaber thing, I didn't like it, <laughs> um, which isn't to say it doesn't work. And I don't appreciate what it did in the story. Uh, and I'm fine with it. Like, it's not like I hated it, um, but it just really bothered me because that's something that threw me out of the story because we know what happened to that lightsaber. It fell into Cloud City. So did someone catch it? Like, that's a gas giant. Like at the center of a gas giant is pressure. It would have gotten crushed. Um, where did she get Anakin's lightsaber from? Like, I just, I don't understand. It, 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 it caused more questions than it solved, like, in the moment, in the movie. So while I'm okay with it now, like, it was just one of those things that, like, in the moment, I was just like, how could she possibly have that? Why would someone get that from Cloud City? Was someone, like, running around, like, like in a little, like, hovercraft going below the city, like, waiting for things to fall? I guess so. I guess there could be someone who's, like, gleaning the trash of Cloud City. But it caused this whole, like, separate I, I, thought yeah, process. Yeah. <laughs> and it would have been, again, if, if we had a few more minutes pulled out from other scenes that didn't need to happen necessarily... I would have loved, like, you know, in the flashback thing... Well, the problem is that it was basically showing her things related to the Force. So, presumably, nothing would have... Like, none of the other stuff that happened to it, unless it was around other Force sensitives, would have mattered. So, I, I don't know, but but it would have been... And see, and that's because... another thing. Like, the flashbacks it showed her, the lightsaber was not at. So, it could oh, have been... True. It could have been any object. The lightsaber was not at any of these events. Because... This is Luke's former lightsaber, not his That's current one. That's a good point, one. too. So, in canon, what do we think? Like, well, I guess what makes sense is that, okay, this thing, just because it was involved with Luke and Anakin and so on, and she's newly awakening to this Force thing, it just sparked a 
force vision that didn't actually come from the lightsaber. It came from, you know, the force. Right. That, so, okay. that, that's my assumption because the lightsaber was not at those events. I also think it's too much of an over step um, to say that because she had these visions, she's obviously Luke's daughter. Um, I, I agree. Because yeah. I think these visions were important things that have recently happened in the force and or her life, which since she's force sensitive might also be important in the force. Cause what are we shown? We're shown the destruction of the Jedi order, the new one, right? Cause, um, we we're show, we're see, we see basically what I assume and what I have later read are the Knights of Ren. Um, right. We see Luke with R2 at the actual, like everything like is being destroyed for him. Um, we see, uh, um, you know, flashbacks from Ray's life. And then notably the voices there are um, Ewan McGregor's layered with um, uh, Sir Alec Guinness's and I think there might have been another one. Um, so like the voices speaking at the end. So this is obviously like almost like a force ghost esque thing, but it's possible. Now this might be a stretch of canon. Um, it's possible the reason why no force ghost directly addresses Ray is because you have to have had an actual personal relationship with someone to see their force ghost. So this is the only way the force has is to communicate with her is through this onrush of visions. And we've it's already been established in Canon that you can get visions from the force, right? Mm -hmm. Cause Luke gets visions of cloud city. Um, so, uh, and Yoda, you know, is constantly seeking out visions in the prequels. Um, and they don't I... necessarily show you things that are directly related to you. One thing about the, uh, I wouldn't overcomplicate it with the Force Ghost thing is like, do they, I mean, the Force Ghost thing very much seems like it's a conscious thing based on the person whose Force Ghost it is. Right, and so they like would a, not nobody, seek Nobody out. knows Rey, so there's right. no reason for her to be. Unlike, so, say, Anakin yeah. going up and slapping Kylo upside the head. I don't know why so that hasn't I, happened. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast forward really quickly just for a line and then bring it back to this, but there's the, there's the one scene um, later on where Han tells... Uh, uh, Finn, he's like, that's not how the Force works. Yeah, I love um, that. Which I loved that because this, that this part bit that we're talking about is exactly how the Force does work. Like, right. you know, you can talk about what the weird coincidence that Rey gets connected to all this is like, yeah, but if Rey is, like, let's say hypothetically she is sufficiently powerful where she can, has, where the, like, the Force sort of recognizes her as someone, or however you want to make that work, as someone who is as significant to as Luke or Anakin before, then like, yes, things that would seem like coincidence to other people are going to happen to her. A bunch. Well, you know, like, it, well, there, there are no coincidences in the force. Right. Exactly. Um, well, as I said, things that seem like coincidences and right? the, like, the, her being called to the lightsaber doesn't bother me at all. Cause we've already seen cases of the force calling someone to a specific place, like Luke going right. into that dark cave that there's almost, there have been very specific cases of almost like this, this pull you cannot ignore from the force, which is, which is separate from, you know, the force shows you a vision. And from that vision, you have a choice. The Force cannot make you do anything, right. um, which is Luke in the cave. You know, he chooses to fight his Darth Vader self, um, reveals it's himself he's fighting. And from that, he has to make a decision of how he's going to go forward in his life. Right. Um, right. Or the Force showing him visions of Han and Leia being tortured in Cloud City. Um, it did not make him go to Cloud City. It didn't even necessarily want him to go to Cloud City. It was just showing him this, you know, giving him the option. And Ray, it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of like giving her this data download of like the Force is like, you're getting into this situation that's so much bigger than you understand. Um, 
here's a whole bunch of things <laughs> that right. you still may not understand, but the force is not a person, so it's not going to express itself in a um, clear way. Um, which I have another force-related rant that we can get to later. Um, cool. But, yeah, and so that scene didn't bother me at all. The only part that bothered me is why is the lightsaber there? And, of course, the only reason why that bothered me is because it took me out of the story for a moment because I had to be, like... Like, I, I'm with what? you too. Is like that was one of the things too. Is like I don't, I don't get it, you know. But and it, it was really, it's there because that is a not an item that's significant to the audience. Well, it's like not that, just an item that's significant to the audience. It's an item that's significant to Kylo and makes him angry about Ray later. Oh, that's true. Um, yeah. so I can understand why it was brought in. Um, and of course now I can rationalize it that maybe there is someone who picks up all the trash from Cloud City. That might actually be lucrative. Um, <laughs> so uh. You know, but in the moment, in my first viewing, it distracted me. Um, the I, I liked how quick and hard to follow the flashback slash possibly flash forward was. I don't I don't really know. Like I've only seen it once, so I haven't gotten a chance to rewatch that scene. I've read kind lots of, of breakdowns of that scene. By this well, point. and I haven't yet because I want to rewatch it first before I read the breakdowns of that scene. But I like that it was kind of difficult to follow in in the movie. And I imagine that's how a force vision would be, right? Because I feel right. like when Luke got his vision of Han and Leia, he just knew they were being tortured. It wasn't like a clear, like, who is torturing them or whatever. Right. Um, and then, of course, when Yoda was seeking out visions in, uh, you know, episode one, two, and three, it was all clouded and he got, like, nothing, right? So Right. Um. Yeah, so anyways, we have this whole thing. She gets the... Uh, she's touches lightsaber, doesn't want it, um, which is cool. Again, showing her. I appreciated her the rejection. Yeah, it makes her different from Luke and Anakin, right? Like she's the first to kind of reject that power. She's like, I don't want any of this. This is not a not a thing I'm going to deal with. Um, and so I appreciate that a lot. Um, again, it's just she's a different character as someone who's going to be, you know, our protect our main character, our main force sensitive character at that. Um, I like it being someone who initially pushes like turns away the power that's being afforded um because luke was excited about it i mean know? and the force also just showed her very disturbing scenes yeah um, and a very horrible time from her own childhood so like why would i want to have anything to do with that it just showed me death and destruction and abandonment or at least, well so i i mean i saw some enough of the writing to show that it was from her childhood but oh no it did show her that too okay never mind sorry i was thinking about uh, something else but anyways let's carry on so there's the sin so, ends up taking this the lightsaber right um well not not immediately um because okay. what happens is uh while they were up talking to maz a uh, bounty hunter reported them to the first order and a i assume person in the resistance reported them to the resistance uh so the first order shows up well, Ray had ran out. She abandoned the lightsaber. She runs out into the woods. BB-8 chases after her. Um, the uh, First Order shows up and starts just destroying everything, which doesn't entirely make sense if you think BB-8's in that building, but whatever. It's the First Order. They have no respect for property. Um, and uh, then um, I don't think Finn comes back until he's worried about Ray in all of this. Uh, well, I guess things start because Finn's loading up that ship. Right. I don't remember the exact sequence of events that causes him to um, 
come back, but it, it's it's before he sees Ray being kidnapped. I feel like. Right. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. It definitely. Is. It's it's concern over Ray though. That that's the reason he he essentially that he comes back though is he cares yeah. about her. And then I do think he gets lightsaber from Maz because I do think Maz still wants Ray to have it. And since Finn is um going after Ray, that's the logical person to give it to. And of course, uh, Finn uses lightsaber to fight uh the infamous traitor stormtrooper guy who yells traitor and uh i enjoyed that fight um most of the internet seemed to have yeah it was like you know you have somebody else who's using this thing which i guess has a vibroblade on it um i almost feel like that that was an anti-lightsaber weapon that was developed and i appreciate that yeah um but and it's clear like okay this stormtrooper knows how to use it so maybe finn would know how to use a you know a, a stick that has energy on it you know as well um the only thing is it was a little bit weird in that if he's not used a lightsaber before it feels like his motion at least the first couple of swings should be really weird because it's basically a weightless weapon you know mm-hmm. but that's just the the nitpicky part of my brain as well as a few other people i'm sure I... like i i was like i feel like at least he should have had one weird swing where he cut something he didn't mean to yeah, I mean, then, he, he might have had it. training on that same device as that other guy, um, though you're right, the, the weight would unbalance yeah. him. Um, yeah, because if you go and swing it like a baseball bat, like, it's not going to move like a baseball bat, it's going to just move effortlessly, you know, so... That um, said, I completely believe in Finn's ability to hold his own in this particular fight. I oh, will yeah, me too. not say the same at a fight later in this movie. Um, okay. But, well. <laughs> yeah, um, in this one, I, I completely believe that. Um, yeah, so I think that fight was good, and it had the as as you said, this one stormtrooper yelling traitor, which I think was great. It, again, just adding a little bit more personality to the stormtrooper. And it shows that stormtroopers can recognize each other outside of armor, which means that in their downtime, they are unarmored. Yes, exactly. It establishes a lot in with very little effort, which is great. Um, I, I also like how, and this is important later, but how uh, in this scene. Uh, you know, you see Chewbacca just tearing people up with his bowcaster, and Han Solo like borrowing it and yeah. using it, <laughs> and and it's great because like every single shot with the bowcaster takes out like multiple people, yeah, um, which is just awesome and is important uh, and, later and is important later exactly. Uh, and so... then of course the resistance shows up. Yep. And something that I did think was a little too on the nose, even in the moment, is when Poe was fighting, you know, in his X-Wing, taking down all these TIE fighters, and Finn is on the ground, doesn't know it's Poe, and is like, man, that's a great pilot. Like, really, Poe? Really, Finn? You're, like, fighting for your life right now. Like, are you really paying attention to that? And I don't know. It just, it was a little too on the nose, even if I, you know. Yeah, it was was unnecessary. It was, uh. You know, he could have been, like, a fist pump would have been sufficient, you know? Right, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and in Star Wars has always been littered with incredibly cheesy lines, so oh, I'm, I'm not going to judge it by that, but it was just a little bit too on the nose, and I was just like, yeah, Finn. <laughs> if he had known it was Poe, then I could see him saying that. Because, um, you know, like, when you see anyone that you're friends with do something cool, and you're like, that's a great person, you know? But... Uh, yeah, so uh, Kylo um, meets Ray in the woods. Yes. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> uh, and he uh, realizes she has seen the map, decides he does not need BB-8, 
uh, and basically completely stops her entire body with the force, which we've seen him do before, and uh, makes her go to sleep with the force, which is a which new is one. new. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I liked that. It's like you're going to sleep now. Yeah, uh, and that's and he takes her away, and both uh, and uh, Finn sees that. Yep. Uh, does Han see him there, or does I... he just know he's there? Don't know. I don't think he. I don't. I don't think. Him. I don't recall if Han saw Kylo in that moment. Uh, I feel anyways. like if he did, then he. It makes sense that Han didn't do anything. He'd just be surprised to see his son. Right. Um. um so yeah, yeah, the the first order leaves with Ray. Uh, the resistance comes in, and now Finn Han. And Chewie go to the resistance base, and uh, Finn and Poe have this very touching uh, reunion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is when uh, Poe is kind of introduced to the resistance, Finn. and excuse me, Finn is uh, you know, he's brought in. Uh, Leia compliments him on being brave, um, which is great. Uh, he is like, well, hey, he can give us some information on Starkiller Base. Yeah, I also really appreciated that when Finn brought his concern to Poe, that he's concerned about his friend. This this goes Ray. Uh, this goes back to Poe being just a really great guy. Um, Poe, when he takes him to Leia um, and uh, is like, "This guy knows all the information he needs." He doesn't just if he was more of a jerk or. just cared about the resistance and not people, he would have just left it at that and never even mentioned the fact that Ray was missing. Um, but instead he's like, and we have to help him find his friend, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, I really appreciated that uh, continual characterization of Poe as a truly great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is all going on. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh... So they get the information on Starkiller Base. Can we talk about Starkiller Base for a moment? Yes. Yeah, we can. Have at it, Andy. (laughs) Okay. First off, why haven't they learned that Death Stars are a bad idea? I I think they have. I think that these guys are wannabes who are just trying to replicate replicate the glory of the old empire in every way and forget that it was flawed. Like, that that is basically, like, again, that's what I keep thinking about when I see the First Order is the First Order really wants to be the old empire and isn't as good at it and hasn't learned from it. The, the like, second thing that bothers me is it's later established in the movie that to fire itself, it has to suck out all the power from a star. Yeah. Um, but we see it midway through the movie shoot itself out. Like, the, the, I have so many. I have so, okay. So it kills <laughs> the Republic planets. There is a throwaway line about it being a hyperspace weapon, meaning it doesn't have to move and it can still kill these planets, which, okay, I can Fine. accept that. I will yeah. accept that. Mandy has accepted that. I have no problem with that. Um, the things I have a problem with are twofold. One, the Resistance saw it from the planet they were on. They saw the planets be destroyed, as if they were on yep. the Death Star watching Alderaan get destroyed. Once again, J.J. Abrams has no Doesn't understanding understand space. space. If Mars was destroyed... Right now, well, first off, it's daylight. We wouldn't see it. Second off, if it's destroyed at night, we might see, maybe, if it was some sort of much light explosion, 
the star that is Mars from our perspective get slightly bigger and then disappear. That's yeah. It, it would basically we would see if you were looking at the right time, you would see a little bit of a bright dot. Right. Like, right. and that's about it. Yeah. I, so that is a thought that it, it clearly really clearly bothers me. Like, yeah, it, no, it bothers me too. Clearly, it was done to prevent to present a a visual thing. In see, space but all and, we needed but, uh, was to see it from space, which we did, right? We got the we got the shot of the person on the Republic planet being like, <gasps> and then we saw it explode in space. Then they backed out to the to the planet the Resistance was on, which was unnecessary because the Resistance would have known because Leia would have known, right? Yeah, they, they would have gotten a report like, "Hey, uh, such and such planet is just gone," and then they would have been like, "Oh crap!" Right? They have another one. So the <laughs> other know? the other thing about this that bothers me is that in order to have destroyed those planets, the, the Starkiller base had to fuel itself off of a star. So somewhere a star has been destroyed. Presumably right. not its own star. Because later, we see it right next to a star taking the power from essentially its own star. But this is a terrible idea. Does no one in the First Order understand how physics works? If you destroy your own star, you're screwed. Like, you're literally screwed. So my so, assumption beforehand had been, because it's a hyperspace weapon, it can hyperspace kill someone else's star, which means you don't even need your lasers. You uh, could so, have killed the Republic by killing their star. The impression I got that was that it moves to a system, sucks the star, and then can move again. So you think like that it can contain its atmosphere and that it's moving? I, that that is what I assume because we like, weren't shown it moving. Unlike no, the no, Death we Star, right? We were shown very distinctly the Death Star moving around Yavin, right? No, I, I I assume that like it is not in its original system, like that it moves. It also moves, and I didn't think it's funny because I didn't even think about that. Criti- I have a whole bunch of other criticisms that some of which you've already stated that I agree with on Starkiller. That this one didn't even occur to me because I was just, and I'm not saying that this is the explanation. It's just in my head. My head cannon um, automatically just went. Okay, so it jumps from I system mean, to the system. The difference is, is this is a planet, and it's yeah, not, know, it's not a, a a space station. So I I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but we're already we've already accepted that it can destroy stuff from systems away via hyperspace. So I just assumed everything about it was hyperspace enabled. Like it basically can shoot at hyperspace rates essentially, and it can travel through hyperspace. It, it, I, I'm not saying I'm just that's how I. The head That's how it made sense strong. to me in the head. Like, yes. and I, so I, I kind of moved on. So yeah, I mean, yeah. it was just because there was so much about of it that the, I mean, the biggest disturbance to me was the fact that they could see the destruction of the planet. I could, like I said, I can forgive the hyperspace weapon because you've stated it. It's in universe, yeah. uh, but you know, I, I keep Seeing trying to rationalize that maybe they were all moons of one big planet <laughs> that we didn't see or something. Um, uh, but and eventually, I'm sure someone will write up the perfect head cannon that will make it make all sense. Um, but right now, I'm not there yet. <laughs> um, and in the um, and in the later scene where we see it used again, because uh, you know whatever we've we're, we've been spoiling everything, so it's not. Hopefully, nobody's listening to this who hasn't seen it. You see multiple planets at the same time explode. Is like that makes even less sense. That's when they destroy the Republic. It's multiple planets. Yeah, it's multiple planets. It's like, how do you see like? You can't see multiple. What? See, that's why um, my my trying to headcan it is your. What if you're all moons of the same big planet? So all the Republic planets are actually moons. Then maybe, 
But you should have been able to see those planets in the sky of your planet then all the time, right? Like how on Yavin 4, you could see Yavin from Yavin 4 because right, you're exactly. on Yavin 4. Anyway, but, so I, I think we can move – because we, we could spend a long time talking about how problematic Starkiller Base is. It's very problematic. It's very problematic. I, I think that's just the thing. It's very problematic. Um, that said, while we're talking about Starkiller, even if it doesn't really belong here to talk about, I really mm. need to talk about Bill Weasley. Yes, I know. Okay. I love him. Yeah. See, uh, I, I don't, but uh, I, uh, but let, go, carry okay, on. The Tell thing I really appreciate uh, is the difference between, I cannot for the life of me remember his name, General Lux, General Ducks, General... Hux, Hux, H-U-X. Hux. I knew it was something that rhymed. Um, <laughs> so General Hux and Kylo's relationship. So yes. Darth Vader pretty much got to do whatever the hell he wanted, right? After episode four because right. Tarkin and him had a different relationship. Um, but in five and six, he was the supreme ruler of the fleet, essentially. Yeah. I mean, he was short. He was the, it was the emperor and him. And presume it sure seemed like everybody else took his orders. at that. Right. So it's very clear that the relationship between Snoke and Kylo and the general does not work this way. Kylo is not Darth Vader. Um, he cannot just tell the general to go screw himself or whatever it is, even though you know Kylo wants him to. Uh, Kylo and the general are actually playing politics with each other. And I really enjoyed that tension in their, like, I don't know, tattletaling to dad. Um, and, like, that relationship, because it felt, like, real. And, like, in a certain sense, Snoke has learned from the Emperor's mistake that you just can't let Darth Vader go around killing all of your admirals because that ends in horror and awfulness because lieutenants cannot be admirals. Uh, so uh, I, I really appreciated that that differentiated the new evil from the old evil, if you will. Um, yeah. That the new things do not work as the old things did. And whatever. I like General Hux. I like Bill Weasley. So it's interesting because I, I I shouldn't I didn't dislike him either, but I guess a big thing is again with the first order I feel like it's always them wanting to be the Empire but not, uh, and so like Hux is not Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, Nobody's Grand Moff Tarkin. No, no, exactly. <laughs> Tarkin is amazing, uh, and Hux isn't amazing. He's just like In clearly fact, he's like it's one of he, my greatest sadnesses that there was no young Tarkin really in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. But so anyways, though, Hux is basically a he and uh, and Kylo Ren both. They're like young upstarts who kind of want to be what Vader and, and Tarkin were. Right. Because right? no one is in the First Order except young upstarts. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So so they both want to be there. And that's exactly. And I think that's it's played well. Like I I like the fact that I don't like Hux. Like and, because I, mean, I like the fact that I like that both of them him much less. Like he's definitely more mature than Kylo Ren is. But they're both a little petulant, you know? <laughs> yes, and like that's the, the whole tattletelling to dad with that right. little Snoke scene, right? So, so when I say that I don't love him, I think I'm appreciating the same thing you are. I just appreciate that I don't like him, right. like, I, for, for those things. And so I, I think it's really good. Like, I think it's done really well. Um, and I think it's going to be a big part of the problem for the First Order in this trilogy. Uh, but, you know, having having Kylo Ren, who hasn't completed his training yet as you know we find out later he's 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 still he's definitely he's a major punk 
So he's not Vader, which means that you can't just let him do his own thing. Because when we're introduced to Vader, Vader's a, sort of a cool criminal, you know? Like, he he is not somebody who they phase. Like, he gets angry and he kills people, but he doesn't just, like, rage out, you know? He right. just sits there and then scares the crap out of people and sometimes kills somebody if they really, really screw up. But uh, that's not Kylo Ren. Like, it, it's pronounced... It, it, so, I, I and like you said... It makes sense that he wouldn't be able to do whatever he wants, that Hux is there as well. But Hux also probably thinks more highly of himself than he should. Not probably, definitely. Oh, he definitely does. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's great. I, I look forward to the problems this causes. Um, also, to, to skip ahead, but continuing with the, the Kylo and Hux relationship. At the very end, when uh, Snoke tells Hux to go find Kylo, you can just see, like, on his face, like, the, why can't I just let him die on this planet? And yeah. then, of course, it also makes me think, does, does, uh, did Hux, like, put some sort of GPS on Kylo? How else does he know where he is? Um, and then I just love the idea of Hux having, like, secretly GPSed Kylo. Um, I, I mean, presumably they have... GPS is on all of them. Right. Like for for this. Like I, I feel like that's not much of a stretch. But uh the interesting thing too is I think that in this relationship of the three of them, Hux is the only one who doesn't realize that Kylo Ren is more valuable to uh to Snoke than Hux is. I'm not um, sure I, that's true though. I don't I don't think he's so I think it's he's clearly true because he wants to use him for all this force stuff. Like Right. I no, I know. no, I think I, I think you're right that Snoke needs to use kylo and right that's that's something leia says later or is it han um that uh snoke just wants kylo for his power almost as if the way oh yeah absolutely is almost as if hux is going or snoke is going to drain kylo of his power but i think the difference is snoke can't do what hux is doing but i also think that he could pretty much like i think that right now that the stuff that snoke cares about is probably still more the force stuff, which is ex- exactly what made Vader such a big deal. And the tr- is like once once all this force stuff started moving, once you had Luke getting his awareness and all that, that's what I always bought into as the explanation. In yeah, the original trilogy now, is like this is why Vader starts coming getting thrust to the fore is because Kylo oh, Ren like, is replaceable with Rey. Well, but they have to have it have her right. right? But I do as think that's also going to be. I- that's something I could see being a plot line later because Snoke wanted Kylo to bring Rey to him. Oh right? yeah, I, and I'm not saying that Snoke cares about him or anything like that, but more of a like Snoke's end game is like you know he wants to obviously he 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 would prefer that's um, that Luke never show up again, but he he doesn't want the Jedi to rise right like he right. wants the dark side to be to be preeminent and so on, and he'll do that however he can. But right now as a tool to that. Kylo Ren is an essential tool for that. Hux is valuable in terms of the First Order, but I just don't feel like Snoke cares about the First Order so much as he cares about doing whatever it's going to, whatever his endgame is. I feel like we don't know some enough. Force to... Yeah, we may not know enough. Yeah, because but... for all I know, Snoke wants to take over the universe. Maybe, maybe. Um, we also don't know what kind of time frames he's working in. No. So... We also don't know what kind of being he is, right? Right. Ex- so well, that's what I mean. He could we, be so we don't know what his lifespan is. Right. A thousand years old. For all we know, he's the one who trained, you know, Palpatine, which yeah. would not be in accordance with the EU, but right, the EU's been thrown out. So yeah. uh, that means all that Darth Plagueis it, stuff isn't isn't true. Yeah, it, it's the thing is like it could 
he could be thousands of years old and have thousands of years left. He could be a few hundred years old and thousands of years left. He could be 30 and have 40 years. Left. Like, you know, we, we don't know. And I think there's a lot of flex to that. Uh, they need to, it could hurt this movie for them not to flesh him out well later, but that's okay. But um, I mean, I think it's like the emperor in episode four, absolutely, right? Yeah. Like he barely mentioned, if mentioned at all. I, I would have to go back and watch episode four very closely to see if they even dropped the, the word emperor. Um, but it's clearly an empire. So that assumes there is right. an emperor. Um, uh, so, and obviously the emperor was not really fleshed out until episode six, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah totally. but, um, while we're talking about Kylo, I, I think one of the things I did not like about him is uh, not like I liked that this that I hate him and it's good that I hated him. One thing I did not like and I wish they had done better. So a criticism is um, he acted like he was 15 and I love that canonically he's 30. Um, so uh, either he's Anakin because Anakin was the petulant 30 year old. Yeah. Or uh, he's uh, I don't I don't know I just like I, I, he I I don't mind that he had like anger issues or whatever there was just so much of his look that is like he's so laughable right he is the hot topic villain um, and I, I just he started out well, and scary and then became laughable. And I'm not sure if that was on purpose or uh, if that's because they want to redeem him later so that he can't be too scary um, or what. But Well, and I think that that's exact. I think it was, to me, it seemed totally intentional where the whole point is to undermine him. Like, he is not actually especially competent. He is not in control of his emotions. He is not actually even, I mean... He presumably is pretty powerful with the Force because he's in the Skywalker family, you know? But, like, he's not... He's not amazing. You know, he's just one of he's the no few who's around. He's no chosen one. <laughs> yeah, he's no chosen one, exactly. And he wants to be, you know? And that's the thing is, like, he's not going to be what he wants to be. And he's... All of his, like, darkness and stuff is self-brought on. Like, he's he's having to force it, you know? Um, whereas Anakin supposed was supposed to have fallen into it, you know? Uh... I, I, so I really like it. I like that he's just, he's bad at being bad. a bad guy. Yeah, he's bad at being, and that's, I think, argues is like, he has essential goodness in him. And, you know, going into what I guess I would have waited until after we're done talking about the but I, I imagine is the overall arc to this story, to this trilogy, I feel like should be his redemption and therefore the redemption of Anakin Skywalker, like, in the long haul, right? Like, because Anakin was redeemed at the very, very, very end of his life. Um, and we, we, you can argue even that he did, wasn't redeemed so much as he just, he came back just at, at the end, you know? Um, it doesn't make up for everything he did or anything. But I, I feel like, you know, right now, if you think about in the, in the grand scheme of things, the, some of the problems with the world in the prequels is that, um, and I don't mean this in terms of movies, I mean, like, if we take take the world that they established is that, hey, you have this stodgy republic with, you know, terrible politics. You have the Jedi who themselves are actually kind of a problem because they're not listening and paying attention to the world around them. Like, you know, they have this whole, they're constantly warning against training people a, bit, a little bit later. They kind of deny who people actually are is the sort of the impression that you get. Or the, And if you basically take this whole 
the Skywalkers, or whether it's Anakin or Anakin and Luke bringing balance to the Force thing, then it becomes this overall story arc of the Skywalkers basically decimating... Screwing over the universe, we should just kill them now. Well, it, it's sort of like, you, you, you decimate the Republic, or the, the Jedi Order, which was actually a problem in and of itself. Maybe, I mean, I'm not saying they should have been killed. But, right, right. But like, but but it was problematic, and the Republic you, was problematic, and the Republic was problematic. So you eliminate that, you end up in this situation in the uh, in the main trilogy, which is too far the other way, and now you have this, and then you have presu- hopefully, or maybe we'll find out later what the problem was when Luke tried to build the uh, the Jedi Order and it didn't work, you know, and it's like okay, you're trying to do things the old way, and something new needs to be done, and it becomes a now we need to be sh- we need to show that someone who has gone to the dark side can be redeemed with plenty of their life ahead of them and do great things. You know, and and that's I think what I would like to see happen with Kylo Ren is look, he's not good at being bad because there is this inherent goodness in him and let's bring him back so that the future the balanced future can be built on his uh, on him and others, you know. But like people who have learned from this stuff in their own lifetimes and then can Warn against the 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 dangers of scaring people off and making them scared of these negative feelings they have instead of being like, hey, let's work with this. Let's figure out how to be actual people um, and so on. So I, I can imagine the arc for the trilogy being that Luke, you know, Luke ran into the same problems that the old Jedi Order had on at some degree was scared off because of that. Maybe he even had a vision saying that, like, it's just not time yet. You know, maybe that's why he gave directions for how to get to him. And then in the end, it's regardless of whether she's family or not, but Ray and uh, and Kylo Ren or Ben Solo, as we find out later, um, are the kind of the bedrock on which the future is built on. Like well, I, I think there's a lot of interesting things. Um, I'm actually way more interested in what happens to Kylo at this point than I am in a lot of other characters. Um, but because of a lot of these reasons and because of the obvious Jason Solo parallels and how much I love Jason Solo um, and wish to see him redeemed, even though he never was. Uh, so maybe I can vicariously redeem him through Kylo. Um, but uh, I guess for the, I don't know how much you went into the EU and how long you were in it, Michael, but you know, Jason Solo did, did go to the dark side. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm aware of that. His kind of travel to the dark side they, now, they also what's tried interesting to do... about his dark side fall that, you know, could parallel possibly Kylo's reason for it, though maybe not, maybe Kylo is just a whiny brat, is Jason saw a vision um, that was essentially almost like if he didn't go to the dark side, things would be even worse. Um, so, uh, you know, whether that vision was true or not could be debatable and whether kylo had an experience like that all we know of kylo right now is he obviously led a revolt of the padawans or if they called them a padawans in the new i don't i don't know um against uh luke or the other padawans and uh probably murdered a lot of people um in this uh jedi order with uh over throw and to me that makes sense on luke uh running away uh because if my nephew uh led a revolt and murdered most of my padawans uh i'd I'd probably be pretty depressed too yeah but even beyond that i mean it's kind of a is there anything i can do you know and i could very much see him being in a situation like there's nothing i can do unless something changes and i mean we have to remember like there is the map to him which presumably somehow was informed by him 
Right. You know? and, the, and the other parallel Kylo had that was probably more in line with his level of de- emo is uh, Kip Durin. Uh, Who I'm from not familiar the, with. From the EU. Uh, he was um, the uh, – did you read the Jedi Academy trilogy? No. Uh, so uh, Kip Durin was a slave that Han Solo met in Kessel through various um, – shenanigans uh that han kind of adopted because uh this was uh when han's kids were like two so kip was a teenager um and he was force sensitive he went to the jedi academy he fell to the dark side um uh later realized the error of his ways and came back to the new jedi order but was later continually a thorn in luke's side just because he had different perspectives but was still on the right side of the uh force and that kind of goes with uh, what you were saying about Kylo being able to have a different perspective, um, possibly a more balanced perspective, right? Um, yeah. Having well, and that's, on the dark side. And that's exactly it. Is I think that basically the future need the future needs to be a balanced one, and we still don't actually have balance. You know, like the closest we had to balance was when Luke was the only person with Force powers left, right? No, the closest because... we had to balance was when the Emperor. And Darth Vader and Yoda and Obi Wan were the only Force users oh, in the galaxy. Yeah, there you go. So it's balanced, um, <laughs> but 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 it's kind of a yeah. So in this, I think that I, I see the future of having Rey, who seems to be even like stronger light side than Luke ever was in terms of just. Uh, from I would the argue that. So we can uh, discuss that in her fight okay, later, where can... she's clearly pulled to the dark side. Oh well, yeah, we'll get to that because I'm I won't argue with that, uh, but. We'll flesh this out later, but but I could see that basically, Ray, who let's say has very very clearly chosen the light side, um, kind of a, you could have it set up where you have one person who kind of didn't and even didn't even didn't want to get trained in this at all in the first place, and now is as well as this other person who was craving power and wanted to go from the dark side, and they kind of together, with you know Luke's guidance, Luke seeing things that have failed in the past and so on, kind of building a new thing. But anyways. Back to this actual movie, <laughs> um, rather than what we hope the future will hold. Um, what a, I'm yeah, I don't even remember where were we at this. Point. Uh, um, basically, they're gonna go save Ray. Uh, yeah. So um, to skip to Ray Kylo, or that's not really a skip. That's kind of where we are, um, right? Because the resistance is trying to figure out what they're doing. Kylo has Rey. He's trying to get the map from her. And basically, we have a whole Snape Harry Oculumency scene. Right. Um, I really, really like this a lot. Um, I really, really, really like how it established basically the build of Rey's awareness of her Force abilities, right? Like, it's kind of this thing where she's fighting him just because she knows she doesn't want to give him information. And then she's discovering she can fight him. And then can push back and can beat him. And, um, you know, I've heard a lot of people argue about how, like, Ray is way too powerful with the Force and that and stuff. But it's like, you know... Have they met Luke? Exactly. It's like, A, were you paying attention to Luke? And B, keep in mind, all the things that Luke did, he, he didn't even know that the Force was a thing beforehand. Ray has heard right. about it, right? So she's like, it's like, if you came to me... And told me, like, had some guy who showed me evidence that the Force exists, and then showed me that I actually have ability in it, in a situation of duress, I was like, well, I'm going to try a few things then. Well, I mean, I I think there's a strong argument for a a very close parallel to what happened to Harry and Snape, right? Um, 
not in the end, but, you know, in the Occlumency scene. Uh, right. So Kylo's trying to in her brain. She's trying to stop it. I assume the Force also gives you instinctual natural defenses against that kind of thing. So she throws up some sort of, for lack of a better word, wall, right? Um, right. But somehow it gets her into Kylo's brain. And I think there's a strong argument that she could have gotten some of her inklings of what is and is not possible in the Force from Kylo himself. Um, and she wouldn't have known she couldn't she could do the things she did if she hadn't peered into his brain and seen what he was capable of. Well, but there's also the fact that, you know, when she is told that she just met Han Solo and she's like, I thought Luke Skywalker was a myth. That means that myths about him exist, right? Stories about him exist, things he can do. The idea that you can pull information, you know, talk somebody into doing something for you, all that stuff. Like, she knows those are, it makes total sense for those to be things she's heard of. Right. Um, and, it, I mean, yeah, if, I, if somebody told me that I could use the Force, I would probably try and talk somebody into doing something that they wouldn't, be, just to see if I could do it, you know? Um, who knows if I would use that much often, uh, much later, but it made total sense to me that she all of a sudden is like, well, now I know the Force is a thing and not a story and i am have now been made aware of the fact that i can do this too so let me try it um anyways yeah that so i i love this scene i love their their back and forth uh, i liked the visual effect again where every time he tries to kind of attack her you see that visual kind of just i, I can't remember if the camera itself was shaking or just the stuff in camera was but i like that um is this the first time that we've seen because the jedi mind trick has been kind of the extent of the psychological stuff of course that we've seen before this movie right i believe so um i'm trying yeah. to think if anakin did anything but i don't think he did anything deeper than a jedi mind trick cool so yeah i, I don't think previously we've ever seen someone take information from someone's mind using it so that's neat that we saw him do it before on poe well i i guess it's kind of the natural correlation of the emperor being able to read luke's mind Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Darth was able to do that to Luke, too, right? Like, sister. But Luke was obviously wore his emotions on his sleeves. Um, and so I, I think Luke had no ability to protect his mind. So I'm not sure how much that was them delving into his mind versus Luke broadcasting. Um, whereas Kylo is going specifically into people's mind to pull out one piece of information. Um, but I, I do think there is a precedence for that in what Darth and Darth Vader and uh, the Emperor did to Luke in Episode Six. I, it wouldn't have bothered me if there wasn't. I feel like the Jedi mind no, trick. No, I, I think it's a natural, is enough of a precedence as well. It, like, it's a it, natural it's just... correlation. So, um, anyways, I just th I think it's really cool. I, I like that they demonstrated that ability earlier with Poe, and that now Rey is in it and she can fight it. Um, I think that's great. Um, yeah. So, don't have much else to say on that. So, uh. Poe, Poe, Finn, um, basically, back on the Resistance, they come up with this whole plan to attack Starkiller Base to kill it, um, and uh, Finn, Han, and Chewie have to go drop the shields, uh, kind of reminiscent of Episode 6 in that sense, um, and um, uh, basically, Finn, I'm not going to say lie, uh, lie is a strong word, but uh, leads them to believe he has more information than he actually has uh, right. uh, to uh, take down the um, shields when he actually has no ability to do so at all because uh, he was a janitor, apparently, or sanitation. 
Um, uh, but he just wants to get Ray and actually doesn't care about the resistance at all, which makes so, sense. <laughs> can we pause just a second? Cause I like the idea that he worked in sanitation because it gives me the impression that everyone who's a stormtrooper had or has some other job that they do. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, cause yeah, you gotta, you have an entire planet that is this base, right? Like you, you've got to have, I, I mean, think about the death star. Like, I don't think the stormtroopers, you know, we we always talk about the death toll on the on the Death Star when Luke blew it up, and it's like, well, what about the you know the the people who work in the cafeteria and so on? It's but probably the, the stormtroopers. Like, yeah, probably the stormtroopers are. I mean, I'm sure they have some dedicated other people, but I, I never occurred to me that it's probably the stormtroopers themselves. I mean, stormtroopers so, are probably a lot like the uh, enlisted of the Imperial fleet, um, yeah. and sometimes enlisted people get really crappy jobs, like sanitation. Yeah, totally. Or checking badges, you know, and like you've got the medic, you've got the the you know the cook, yeah, uh, yeah. So, I, anyway, so I, I just like that because immediately I kind of smirked. I was like, oh man, now I'm thinking about all the other jobs. Like, who's the guy who just goes around like doing maintenance on <laughs> on, on the random you know hallway doors when they don't work? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so I. Uh... There's there's a couple of interesting things, you know, when Han and Finn and Chewie are running around the base. Um, but before they left, it's important that to note that Leia gives Han the uh, most guilt-driven and yet oh. completely makes sense, uh, like, pep talk <laughs> of all time it was painful it was painful i mean it's completely something that she would say and something someone in that position would want and something that han would want which is if you see our son bring him home yeah and, and as soon as like she says that i'm like oh no han's gonna die as soon as like, well <laughs> so it was very clear someone was always going to die in this movie because oh, what yeah, happens sure. in the first of every trilogy Obi-Wan, someone's gonna die. Someone's gonna die, and it's and Han was the one getting all the screen time. So So it wasn't gonna be Leia. Luke's not around. Who's the only old guy? Um (laughs) so I yeah, it it was always gonna be Han, and um you know, there can be so let let's just go forward to what we really want to talk about here. Yes. Han getting killed by Kylo. Mm-hmm. Or Ben, uh, you know, in in the section of fandom I live in, there there has been a lot of discussion of whether patricide is forgivable and redeemable, namely in the context of Loki. Uh, not that we have yeah. any confirmation that Loki actually killed Odin. Um, in the general school of thought, has generally been patricide is not forgivable. Uh, in a storytelling sense, you know, real world, we can have whatever arguments. Want. Right, but that well, the one way to establish a character is bad is to have them kill their father, who is right. a good guy. Not like killing Darth Vader, right? Not that Luke killed right. Darth, because Luke did not kill Darth Vader. Um, right. So Kylo killed Han. Can he brought back be brought back from this within the context of telling a story? Yes, <laughs> I will just say yes. Um, <laughs> I think that. Uh, because we see the earlier scene, which I think is very poignant. Kylo Ren is basically praying to uh, Darth, Darth Vader, Vader. <laughs> to Darth Vader's helmet specifically. <laughs> um, and, and he's like, there is light in me and I can't push it away, which is really just kind of a weird thing for us, you know, 
to have someone just to hear like, light be the temptation. Yeah, he's like, I. So we know that he's tempted by the light, and he's scared because Snoke knows, you know, and he knows that Snoke knows. So I really appreciate that ahead of time. So what this feels like to me is very much a. He kills, you know, both he and Snoke wanted him to kill his fathers to, uh, his father to basically push push him over for good to kill the little bit of light that's left. Except that that's not how it works. Right. You know, and he still and has a mother. It, well, but it was more of a like this action. If I can do this, is like, but no, like you're you're not doing this out of rage or whatever. You're doing it specifically because you want to turn to the dark side, and it's like. No, the light's still there. Like, you're doing this, and what I think it is is basically it's going to lull him, possibly Snoke as well, into a false sense of security about how, about his darkness. But it's going to crop up again. And I think that this But actually... do you think viewers will accept it after he kills oh, Han so. Solo that Kylo can be good? I mean, I think users can accept it, if the, but it's up to the filmmakers to make it convincing enough. It's going to have to be some breakdown, some connection with his mother... Like, you know, you're going to have to have tears and all that stuff. Like, it's going to have to be the, where you really, truly see kind of the, the sobriety once he realizes what, like, when he comes back over and sees the result in his decisions, you know? Um, I, but it's going to have to be done in a weighty way. And it could definitely be done poorly. It could be done in a way that we don't buy, which is part of the problem with the prequels is that I don't ever buy Anakin's fall to the dark side. Like, it's just silly. Um, when it could have yeah. been done so well. But, yeah. uh, and so it's a matter of, that. that's the danger now with this, is that because he did kill his father, they can do it and it'll be all the more poignant for it, but it'll be really tough to pull it'll off. It'll be hard. And, yeah. and they need to do it. Like, but if they can pull it off well, it'll be all the better for it. I think. The story will be all the better. So, I mean, and, I, and I, I'm hoping. The, the problem is right now is I feel like we don't know enough about, and this, this can be fixed, right? This is not a problem like a criticism. This is a problem like we don't have the answer. Um, right. We don't know enough about why Kylo turned to the dark side. Uh, right. Is it for yeah, glory? Is it, is it for, you know, whatever? Like Anakin, regardless of how bad the prequels were, I can say with confidence the underlying motivation for his dark side turn was family related issues yes uh and that's why his turn to the light was family related issues right like anakin was the guy who always wanted a family and then basically it was taken from him uh and the emperor had always presented himself as a father figure so when padme's dead your children are dead obi-wan has betrayed you you go back to the only person who's you know ever been nice to you um and you know that's that's simplifying it but that's essentially what happened right um right. and then when luke comes up and this is your son who is horrified to learn he's your son but then comes after you seeks you uh wants a relationship with you and uh all you've wanted in your life is a family and then the emperor threatens to kill your son you choose your son over the emperor like that that's ultimately what happened, and that's his turn back to the light. Um, right. And it's the same motivation that caused him to fall. But Kylo, since we don't know why he fell, or you know, was he 15 when he fell? Because you know he's 30 now, and if he was 15 then, you can have pretty dramatic changes in personality, right? Um, right. So I, you know, we don't know the reason why he fell. We don't even know his relationship with Luke. Like, was he angry at Luke? Um, did he feel like he wasn't getting what he deserved because basically he was raised as a prince or whatever, you know, like, or 
did like we don't know anything so so we don't know enough to say what would cause him to come back from the light all we know is he's conflicted and hopefully the next movie will reveal more about the psychology regarding kylo ren's fall and hopefully uh redemption yeah absolutely and that's the thing is the next movie has a lot to do in terms a lot of work cut out for it in terms of showing us fleshing out some of these people's backstories mm-hmm. um it has it, a I lot mean, of it, work to do i kind of worry about it <laughs> that said uh and we'll talk about it more but i i really 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 like ryan johnson um so i i'm i with ryan johnson at the helm i feel like we could end up with the weirdest numbered star wars ever and i am kind of excited at the idea i'm just excited um, it's not jj abrams i mean i didn't particularly love looper but that wasn't really the directing that was the writing and uh so you should watch uh brick as well okay um, it's a it's a completely non-science fiction movie that ryan johnson did and it's very stylized but it, it's just a different movie that you won't have some of the sci-fi plot issues with excellent i think so, so uh, it'll give you a taste for his directing anyway skipping past <laughs> the death um well not skipping past it so after um kylo kills han uh which han allows i i would like to note han does not fight it at all no, no, it, it's not. Like, he very much goes out to the bridge, hoping that he can bring his son back, but he's he's like, look, I mean, this is going to end one of two ways, right? Right, right. and, and so. how could he go back? I mean, this is someone who his whole life was destroyed by Ben going to the dark side, right? Right. How could he go back to his wife without Kylo? And, and I think in that moment, perhaps he was realizing Ray is not actually a substitute for his own son. Yeah. Um, uh, he, you know, he, in the moment before he had been, you know, probably years since he'd seen Kylo, he's thinking, you know, I could adopt this girl and I'll be happy. I don't, I don't need no stupid Ben Solo. Uh, but then when faced with his actual son, he realizes, uh, while I'm sure he would still be happy to adopt and guide Ray, uh, Ray is not Ben. Uh, so, uh, Ben kills Han. And Chewie immediately shoots Kylo with his bowcaster, the thing that yeah. blows up mountains, basically. Yeah, and so th- this is really, really and, significant uh, Kylo, to me because it's like, yeah, go ahead. Ky- Kylo doesn't even fall to his knees. Um, yeah, like that's a big deal. Like he's clearly pretty powerful. Uh, um, so I, I'm going to assume, uh, knowing what I know about the Force in Star Wars, is some of that energy he absorbed, Darth yeah. Vader style. Um, yeah, and that's the thing is, I think basically he is, you know, he managed to get hit with the bike, the bowcaster without falling. It, like, it hurt him, but I, I think and hurt a lot. I, I think he absorbed and dispersed a lot of that energy, so it was more like a regular blaster shot and less like. Um, but it was still a lot of effort, I would say. Yeah, which and we see how much it hurts him later. Right, so right. I, I do want to talk about this final fight because I do have problems with it. Um, because no matter how much Kylo has been hurt. I feel like he should have been able to take Finn down in a second. So I, I have, okay, I will say that I still think Finn did better than he should have, but I think that he should have been able to present a fight, not just because of how badly Kylo's hurt, but going back to what we were talking about with his, with the, hopefully Kylo's future redemption and so on, is I I feel like he is under a lot of mental and emotional distress, not just physical distress. He just murdered his father, I mean. Yeah, like, he just murdered his father. He is, we already know he has no control over his emotions. 
you know, to begin with. Like, he's just, like, raging out all the time. So, and we know that, like, your, your ability to control the Force moves around with your emotions, right? Uh, um, so the dark whether, side is fueled by your emotions. It's, so it's, you, it's fueled by it, but that doesn't mean your control is necessarily, like, if you've got this physical, like, you know, he's, he's sitting here, like, actually, like, beating on his side because of the, the, the pain and stuff like that. He's not... And if he's emotionally disturbed, but in a way where he's not, like, he's confused by his emotions, right? Where he's, like, he's angry, but also probably sad, you know, at the same time. So it's like, he's got these conflicting emotions going, whereas normally when we would see the, the dark side being fueled by emotions, it's like, okay, this person's pissed, and they're, they at least think they know exactly what they're pissed about, and they're just channeling that. Well, here, it's, I think that that, that sadness that comes from him killing his father, and the kind of rattling from it, I feel like that plays differently from any of the emotions we've seen people use for the dark side. Like I, and that's how I read it at the time. I was like, man, how is he going to fight after this? And he got hit, you know, he's hurt too. Like, I guess that's why I can buy Ray beating him. Um, Finn. Finn is he should, a lot more he, questionable. I feel like he should have been easy to put down. And then. He should have been able to throw Finn aside. Yeah. I feel like. and, then, and then hear me out. Here is okay. how Mandy would have ended this movie. They all are out in the snow. Same situation. All the same things just happened. Finn is a brainwashed stormtrooper. So I would have had there be something implanted in him, reminiscent of Order 66, that reboots him. Or at least brings up some sort of, like, listen to your commander or something program. And I would have had basically... Kylo pull that up, say whatever it is, so that the ending fight was between Finn and Rey, uh, and the the fight ended essentially the same way with the fight ending because you know of all the earthquakes and the place being destroyed, and them and Finn getting knocked out of it, and then they have to deal with those repercussions in the next movie. So basically, kind of would have ended it with slightly the Empire winning, but not entirely, only on an emotional See, sense. I, I the thing is, I like I liked the ending of this. I do wish that Finn had basically fought less time. Like, even if you had him fight for, like, a couple of seconds, and then, like, you sort of see Kylo Ren regroup and push him aside, uh, and, you know, and take him down, rather than the just the length of time that they fought. But I like Rey and Kylo Ren fighting because I like it asserting that Rey is stronger than Ren. Than Kylo Ren. No, but like, she's not stronger than him. She's only that... stronger than him in his weekend state. Right, right. But, but what I mean is... I, so not that he's stronger than we've already, but it basically being a second time where he beats where she beats him, right? Because she does beat him when they have their kind of mental standoff earlier, right? And like she beats him by kind of beating him back. He can't get into her head, and then he she escapes. And so I don't necessarily like we don't know. She's obviously she's not trained and so on, but like basically her with her previous fighting ability that we know she has because she fought off stormtroopers with a staff earlier. Um, was it stormtroopers or just random people? Random, random people. Guys. It was random yeah. guys. So, so she fights off random guys <coughs> with staff, clearly knows what she's doing. Um, now she knows that she has the force, so she uses it a little bit. But, like, using that and being able to come up on top of him while he's injured and stuff still, though, is a, like, she still has absolutely zero training. Like, 0, 0.0 training that we're aware, that we know of, you know? And certainly zero training in any kind of length of time previously. And so, like... I like it ending with her beating him just because I want more and more. 
as much distress as can be piled on him as possible, I feel like should be. Like, I feel like that needs to be important for his character. That you just need to keep piling on things not mo- going in his favor. Um, I, 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 to me, that's really important. Um, and because uh, it'll come into but questions. I, I, I of feel his like it would have been important and... to Finn to confront his actual stormtrooper past, but. I think that they're glossing over that and that he's already done it. Like, he already confronted it. He's free. This entire, like, the first half of the movie was him trying to run away, and now he's faced it by coming back for her. Yeah, that just kind of goes back to the issue we talked about at the beginning. But, well, but, but, but again, like, I think coming back for her as somebody who made him feel significant. I also have to believe now that they have terrible training. Uh, They are terrible shadow of the Empire, as you said, like, barely, barely, uh, uh, even yeah, close. And, and I mean, to to go back a little bit, Phasma should have died before she put down those shields. Uh, like, absolutely. I, and that whole sequence ran false to me, um, too. And I was like, either she doesn't care, um, or she's a terrible stormtrooper that she could be taken down by a lesser stormtrooper and an old dude and a Wookiee. Um, and like, I, I don't know. The whole sequence of that was false to me. And then I just felt like it was too easy to beat Kylo. Um, and and I, knew th- I know there was a lot of things piled on there. And I know even Rey, you know, went a little dark side in that final fight because she was totally fighting for revenge right there uh, over Han and uh, Finn. So there was no light side in that until she calmed down. And even then, after her calm down, she's still kind of still a little emotional. Uh, but, but see, and that's the thing is I think that there's kind of that inherent disagreement where like, they can you can go into the thing where you know what maybe it's not the emotion that's bad like like it's fine to be emotional it's but, just a matter of what okay. is in control outside knowledge you know? i saw parts of the script that were revealed and it basically said that the reason why she hesitated before killing kylo is cuz she realized how close she was to the dark side yeah but because it didn't make it in the movie doesn't mean it needs to be used you know like that's the the thing because there's a lot of stuff that'll play differently and as we know with the way that episodes four and five work i'm just saying there's no way you can argue that in that last fight she wasn't flirting with the dark side there's no way every emotion she was experiencing was a negative one yeah i mean you could say she's flirting with it i i i'll buy that i just i i think that in general her not wanting to the thing is, keep in mind that this is her first time she's really even using it, you know? And so, it, like, it pulls her, and then she's like, you know what? No, this is bad. Like, uh, and comes back. I, I, I feel like th- that one scene can very much be used as a once-and-for-all rejection of it. Mm. And you don't have to have her deal with that conflict again. I um, hope not. I hope the dark side's more complicated than that. I hope emotions are more complicated than that. They are, they're complicated, but they don't need to be complicated for every person. Not every person deals with but all the Rey same issues. But Rey doesn't need to be know? Luke again. And Rey but Luke long... did. Like, Luke embraced uh, a little bit of it. Like, he was treading the line in Jedi. He was. And yeah. I, I feel like it's too early to say she rejected it for once and for all. And I feel no, like Rey has a lot of hurt, anger in her past, and in her present, and possibly in her future. Possibly. I don't know. I think that it could go well with basically her kind of rejecting it, but not rejecting it in the way that, I don't know, Yoda would want somebody to. Um, but rejecting it more in the, you know what, that's not a path I'm going to go. I'm going to keep on this light side thing. I'm not going to let that stuff pull me aside. I'm aware that it's there. I'm not going to be embarrassed by it or um, or shamed 
by it or deny that those emotions exist, but I'd be like, you know what, those emotions exist and I'm not going to follow them. Um, to have kind of a muted... <sighs> Again, like, so it no longer is a temptation, it's just kind of an acknowledgement. It's like, yeah, there's that part of me, but I, eh, I don't want to have it... I don't want to let it control me. I'm also not going to ever try and deny that it exists um which is a you know again the kind of in the previous in the previous movies like you always had this sort of like it's one way or the other until you had luke who kind of bounced back and forth a little bit at the end you know um and i i feel like using that and having basically kylo ren eventually come back to the to the light side but clearly having got come from really far one way and Ray finding a balance that is pretty decisively on the light side of things, but not like a, you know, she doesn't have all this, if you will, propaganda against the dark side in her head in terms of like, or propaganda against emotions in her head, I should say. Then it kind of becomes this sort of balancing factor where you have two people, both of whom know what both sides feel like. Um, but I feel just like a that bit. should. They're not saying that Ray is Luke in the sense that that's who Luke should have been after episode six, uh, because he had no propaganda about emotions other than Yoda and Obi-Wan telling him to clear his mind or like not wear him on a sleeve, which isn't necessarily bad advice. And I guess I do have a problem with Luke not being that person. So, so which we haven't seen right and and i'm not i think luke was that person i just think it's hard to be the only jedi master who really has no idea how to train anybody which i right. mean is a constant theme in the eu and i don't think it's something that can be or should be thrown out in the sense of just like psychology right that luke was trained to be a weapon not to be a jedi and uh he didn't he had like what a year of training maybe i don't know how long was he on dagobah not that long um and that's it he had very little training uh right. so you have this person who's basically a self-study jedi trying to teach other jedi and it's just a, a complete failure um and it's his own nephew who leads the uh and you know snoke whoever he is you know probably came from some other background probably had a teacher if he's sith right though he may not be sith there are other sects of dark side i imagine um and has more knowledge and more answers than luke has because luke doesn't actually know about much about old republic jedi um and that i think that's part of the seduction of someone from the dark side right their history hasn't been erased um it's still around as is uh presented yeah. by Darth Vader's helmet. Well, I guess, so I guess what I'm saying is I, I do feel like, or not what I'm saying, I haven't been saying this, what I think now, having processed through that, I guess I, I would be totally happy with um, her basically being a second Luke in that she is similar in his demeanor and approach to the, where she kind of gets it, maybe she doesn't even spend as much time flirting with the dark side as he does, gets it, is light side, but doesn't want to push away everyone else. And then maybe we'll find out through how everything collapsed under Luke. You know, maybe he realized I need other people to help me lead. And Kylo Ren, uh, and, excuse me. And Ben is not the person to do it because he's just, he's so sucked in by the dark side. I need to bring him back. And maybe that was kind of part of the schism, you know? See, my, my preference like, would not be to have her repeat Luke's emotional story, but rather have her, have her own struggle with the dark side. Um, uh, you know, 
I guess I, I don't want every single Jedi to have to struggle with the dark side, is the thing. Because I don't feel like every single one... But see, but should. I feel like Luke didn't really struggle with the dark side in the sense that he never wanted to go to the dark side. He felt the emotional pull. He always knew it was there. Sometimes he flirted with it, sometimes he slipped because his anger got the better of him. But he was never dark side. Well, right. But isn't that the, the thing where that... Isn't that the danger of the dark side is you fall to it, not with the intent to go there, right? Like... It's you, you kind of, that pull, you act on the pull, and then eventually, that's you. Um, whereas, because that's presumably what... But I don't you know, want Rey to better, never get to angry. I, I want her to be a real character who experiences real things. Uh, and she has a lot of reasons to be angry, especially, and I pray, like, they do not do this. If Luke ends up being her father, she needs to be angry as I'll get out and just punch him. And, like, leave the planet and, like, never want to see him again. And then come to terms with it and then come back. But, but uh, there's a difference between being, dealing with anger and dealing with the dark side. Like, I, I feel like they don't need to, like, again, one of the problems with the old, with the, the Jedi Order was the whole, like, in their opposition to the dark side, they also were basically like, you can't have feelings. You know? And I think that that was a reason that actually, that helped contribute to Anakin's fall to the dark side. Versus, like, can there not be someone who, without having been taught about how anger itself leads to the dark side versus, okay, anger can be used to pull you to the dark side. Like, okay, well, I have anger, I process it, and then I move past it without actually, like, acting on in terrible ways, right? Because, like, that's the thing is as you get older, like, people still get angry, but they learn to not even channel it, but they learn to kind of process it. And... It's like maybe Ray knows how to deal. Like maybe she is one of those people who she'll get angry, but she'll know, or not. Maybe that anger, her anger, won't be such that it pulls her over. It has the same kind of pull that it even did with Luke in the cave, or not in the cave, but but with Luke in general. Like I, I would love. And again, part of it is it's you know why I like Superman and other characters is I like the idea of a character who doesn't have. They have their own struggles, but they don't deal with the same things that every that a whole lot of other people do like they can have their own different struggles um i don't know what hers would be i don't i mean we haven't seen enough yet but um but i would love for one of these people to be struggling with the dark side and one not to be but not shunning the person who is anyways we'll see we'll see how that goes um i don't know that there's much plot left to the movie this no uh they take they they leave the planet on the falcon um Hux has to go save Kylo. We didn't. We don't actually see them leave the planet, which I find strange. Just as Again, a it happens really, really quickly. Right. Just just as a as a directorial choice, because uh, we see you know Darth Vader not get blown up on the Death Star. So I think in the sense that they were trying to be so thematically similar to um, yeah, I would I would have shown that. Um, but uh, I interesting that you know when they get back to the Re Rebel planet, not Rebel sorry, resistance planet. And uh, uh, Finn is hurt. Poe is there to be beside, you know, Finn's <laughs> uh, uh, bedside, or not bedside, but the thing you push people on. Gurney, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, having a hard time with words. Also, you know, Poe Finn, I ship it like FedEx. So I want to see that happen. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I... Um, and then Leia and Rey, you know, hug. Also, to note that Leia felt it when Han died. 
Um, yeah. And then um, uh, for some inexplicable reason that no amount of anything can explain to me, R2-D2 wakes up. Yep, I'm with you. I, 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 and that's the thing. Maybe, maybe, maybe they will explain this in the next movie, but there is nothing for us to go on in this one, and that bugs me. It's like, it would have been so easy for you to just, I don't know, like, show Luke's hood or something move and then do it. Yeah, or the thing I would have changed was, like, maybe BB-8 never went up to R2 before, and this is the first time BB-8 actually rolls up to R2, and R2 senses the other piece of the map. You know, that could have done it, but... But he did earlier. Right. Yeah. So that completely, you know, negates that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you could have done the thing where maybe you have uh, Ray walk by with the lightsaber. Or, right? like, yeah. you know, like, just something. <laughs> Instead, it's, um, it's that it was the most J.J. Abrams-y thing ever. Especially You since... know what they really could have done? What they really could have done was after BB-8 walks, rolls up to him and everybody rolls away, have R2-D2's, like, one of his lights blink. Right. Like, you know, just, just a little thing is like, hey, BB-8's contact with him started him, like, started a to, process. Started him, yeah, like, started him booting up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> who, who knows? Like, um, so, and, yeah. He, he has the rest of the map when, the thing that gets me, if they had the rest of the map, they knew the area Luke was in, and I know the galaxy is huge, and you know the galaxy is huge, but this movie sure did seem, make it seem like space travel's super easy. So, you know, no, they didn't know where he was, though, because because R2-D2 had been uh, asleep ever since Luke left. They they said that. I like, know, they specifically but, said... Yeah, but, like, and the, Luke left and him the, and R2, like, immediately shut down, or Luke left him and, like, turned R2 off, or, like... I, I mean, I, I you're think You're telling me you can't, you can't hook up an external hard drive to R2? Like... I mean, and and that's the thing, right, is, like, presumably... And this was an assumption I did have in the movie. So, like, let's skip, ignore the part that both of us are upset by where he just randomly wakes up. But, you know, I assumed, okay, Luke left, hid the rest of the information in him because, you know, he's kind of, uh, he's just sitting there on the mantle, you know, uh, waiting for us to, to get information from him. So, so I assumed that when Luke left, he left the rest of the map in him and he's waiting for something. But, like... And presumably, if it was intentional, then nothing's going to be able to force him awake because it's R two D two, you know, like he does what he wants right. to and when he wants to. Um, it's all. It's also the one time you can't say, "Well, the force," because as far as we know, there's been no argument that droids are force sensitive. Yeah do they do they say that the the force moves for all things or all living all things? living things? Okay. Uh, so I mean, we can make philosophical arguments about that, and there have been many, right? But canonically, we have nothing to say that R2 would have sensed it through the Force, or that the Force would have woken R2 up. Yeah, so that scene is probably the single one that bugged me the most in the entire yeah. movie, was R2 waking up for no reason. I was like, ah, uh, uh, JJ, you, there are like 8,000 things you could have done I, to make it so many things you could have done. Without explaining, like, it was just lazy. you didn't say, and I'm assuming, I'm hoping that they didn't say anything because they want to explain it later. You, but you could have given a whole lot where you would just allow for the beginning of a reason yeah. without telling us, yeah. you know? Um, so you, again, a single blinking light is like, okay, it's when he gets into contact with the rest of the map, but that still doesn't explain why he was turned off. Why? Like, you know, 
and I, and again it's like well would the map even be a reason because why would the timing of the map getting to him be sufficient reason for luke to know that it's time for people to come find him right you know like i so there's a lot there and i that's probably the single thing i'm most nervous about with the upcoming movies like that is one of those things where it will it will pull me out in a way that i don't think that regardless of how good the rest of the movie is if there isn't a sufficient reason for the machinations involved with them getting the directions to luke i it's gonna be really hard for me to buy whatever else happens uh because so much of this movie and the next one in john yeah Um, and then it kind of so they go find luke and I'm kind of, I'm not bothered by this. I'm uncertain uh, because our usual way Star Wars movies work is that many years pass between episodes, many right. years. So I kind of want to know how this Luke Ray thing goes. So is the next movie going to pick up right there? Because that would be weird. Um or are we just going to skip over and Ray's just going to be a fully trained Jedi? I, I just, the ending makes me concerned for the next movie and how they're going to tie it all together. Um, because we just had like, a, you know, five minutes of them staring soulfully at each other. Um, and Which was way too long a scene. Oh, way too long. And They, and they no needed words. to have the, they needed to just break it off as soon as they took, went up to the helicopter shot. Ignore the helicopter shot. Just, just do the, and even the scene when they weren't, like just, it was too long. They needed to have it be, Essentially, Ray holds the thing out. Luke looks at it, or looks at her, and then looks at it, and then end. Black. Yeah, like, yeah. But but yeah, I'm I'm concerned because I I want to see Ray's you know Dagobah training with crazy hermit Luke. Um, but if the other movie starts right there, then that's kind of not Star Warsy in a way that's a little bit concerning to me as you know an overall feel. So I'll just be interested to see how Ryan Johnson tackles that. Um, yeah, that I wonder probably. are they gonna have are they gonna have in movie flashbacks? Like, is that gonna be a thing I where you flashback? To, I I don't like that idea either. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We'll I, I kind of um, I kind of almost wish that they had found it and then not gone after Luke, and then in the next movie they had some hand wavy excuse that like you know like the same reason why uh, it took so long for Obi Wan to tell Luke to go to Dagobah. Why did it take so long? I don't, I don't know. Um, but, like, you know, maybe something happens immediately after that needs Ray's attention. It actually takes them two years to go after Luke. Or, or maybe, like, it's through some weird star systems that you just can't, like, hyperspace through or whatever, you know? Like, I don't I don't know. But uh, it, it's an interesting choice to end that way. Yeah, I, I guess we'll see. Um, I, I'm really, really excited uh, about this. I, I kind of wish the anthology films weren't happening until after this trilogy was complete. Yeah, I'm more but... excited about Rogue One than I am about Episode Eight, but you know, I'm partial to X Wings. Right. Oh, oh, and I guess my thing is, um, I am really afraid of them overdoing Star Wars quickly. Like, I would rather it turn into a okay, we have the like a year and a half gap between this and Episode Eight, and then maybe another year and a half between that and Nine. And then you go but to every year and a half. can you really you overdo thing. Star Wars? I mean, I mean, I know people yes. talk about this all the time when they talk about superhero fatigue or whatever. But, like, 
I read like 10 comic books in the Marvel Universe every week for like two years and I haven't gotten fatigue. You know, like people want what they want. And like a Harry Potter book, we could have had one a year, you know, like and we would have been happy. Like you don't it like you don't get tired of a book series you love. You know, uh, unless it's bad. Like, there's a difference between slogging through true. the middle of the wheel of time versus getting a Jim Butcher book every month, every year. You know, we never got tired of that. So it's just like, I don't think that's actually a thing uh, for people. No, you're you're fair. I, that's fair. I, well, so I am. I don't want more than one Star Wars movie a year. Like, I would gladly have just the one, and it be like a thing I look forward to every single year. Um, because I, the truth is, like, I'm. St- I mean, as someone who has so far kept up with every single thing in the MCU and has bought all of the films and likes all of them, like whether I have issues yeah, with them I don't or not, I have like to every make, single one. I don't want to have to make choices between Captain America and Star Wars. That... No, no, I, like I'm not, I'm not choosing between any of that. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, um, and, what you're and, saying and, is... And I'm, and I'm watching, if... and I'm watching the TV stuff, like, and, and whatnot, and I'm liking... But if there's a Star Wars like movie every four months and a Marvel movie every four months, at some point, we may have to make that financial decision, right? <laughs> right. Like, I, and that's the thing is, I, I'm getting a little bit tired of, like, I want them to slow down with the Marvel stuff just a little bit, because it's exhausting, because there's so much other, it's not like I'm only watching Marvel stuff, you know? Like, and that's exactly, it's like, now that the Star Wars, Star Wars is being, throw, being thrown into this, and I'm ignoring the DC stuff, because it's terrible. Um, the DC movies, Oh, rather. I thought you meant, so I was like, like, I was about to be like. No, 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 no. Well, okay. So it's like, I, but it's, it's like, there's only so much media, and so for me, it's more of a, I want to be able to keep, continue to keep up with Star Wars without having to choose Star Wars over other things. Yeah. You know, and that's exactly what you said. You don't want to choose Captain America over Star Wars. I don't think I could make that choice. It it would be like choosing between children. I just. And that said, if Star Wars was owned by a company other than Disney, I think there would be greater fear. But the fact is Disney owns both and hopefully they don't want to put their own properties into competition. I I am glad that the first anthology movie is not one of the planned backstory character movies like it's Rogue One with characters we don't know at all right? Like yeah. a situation really... we know, we know how it's going to end in the sense that the Death Star plans somehow get to Leia who puts them in R2-D2. But uh, it's not like the Han Solo backstory, which is coming. I am nervous about the Han Solo backstory. And I'm nervous about the Boba Fett. Why Why do we keep making Boba Fett things is what I want to know. But uh... it's like, don't people get that there's nothing significant about Boba Fett except that people latched onto him and we he's great and, and, as that kind of and trope? And people like, latched onto him because we knew so little about him. The more right. you tell us about him, the less interesting he becomes. Yeah, exactly. So that's very, very weird. Because Boba Fett, I think, is, is he's neat. He's this little side character who people latched onto because cool he looks cool you know <laughs> like that's all he's got this what is this armor and then you know people start filling in all kinds of other things it's mandalorian armor whatever that means um you know but i it's just, it's just really weird like i i guess i i really like like rogue one of the three movies that we know about i'm i'm much more excited about rogue one than i am either of the backstory films Agreed. um i would love them to do I mean, I would love them to do all kinds of other stuff. You can, I mean, there are 30 years between episode uh, six and episode seven. Yeah, but that might reveal too much that they want to reveal in the uh, movies. I mean, after this trilogy's over. Right, agreed. Yeah. um, We can go back to, you know, have a movie where Kylo, the ending of it is Kylo kills everyone, you know? (laughs) 
I, I mean, I, I think it would be really great if you can do as much as possible without using any of the characters that you have before in any context. Because, like, the galaxy's a big place. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's one of the things that people who complain about the EU talk about is, like, why does everything happen to this one family? You know, and, you I, know? and I kind and, of felt that way about this movie to the extent of without knowing the reason why Kylo falls, like, if I lived in this galaxy at this point, I would just be like, murder all the Skywalkers. Well, and that's the thing is, again, we have this 30 years of nothing happening, right? And who knows how much of the, because we know that the Skywalkers, that Luke and Leia were instrumental in the downfall of the Empire. Uh, Who knows how much Leia did to contribute after that to the building of the Republic that exists now, you know? So, So presumably that there's that larger cultural weight involved, but we don't have that sense of the world. And I feel, I feel like the anthology films should be used to build out the galaxy rather than to continue to build on the stories of people we already know. Um, because the galaxy is a gigantic place and it doesn't all re- revolve around them while these nine episodes should, you know, like, I, I feel like I like the idea of these nine episodes re- being the story of the Skywalkers while other Star Wars movies are everything else that's going on in the galaxy. That uh, um, reminds me. Uh, Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Rebels, uh, which I haven't watched yet. I I've only watched a couple of episodes, um, but I've been reading um, the comic canon, The Last Padawan, which um, the leader in Star Wars Rebels is a former um, Jedi who escaped Order sixty six and then had to figure out he was a kid, he was a Padawan, so he had to figure out how to live in you know the galaxy, and uh, th- that comic is really good. And it's kind of that. It's kind of like, this is not a Skywalker. This is not someone who goes on to save the galaxy, right? This is someone who, like, lived these events. Uh, and then presumably dies later because Vader killed everyone. Uh, n- I mean, maybe. I think Rebels <laughs> takes place right before Episode 4. Um, oh, really? Yeah, okay. so he's just, no one knows he's a Jedi. Uh, because he's gotcha. not a full Jedi. He was, like, you know, 15. So, um... Uh, and he's been like a smuggler slash rebel ever since, right? Um, and so, yeah, that it's it's a really good comic, um, and uh, probably actually my favorite Star Wars comic out right now, um, mostly because it has nothing to do with the main characters. Uh, and sometimes I really struggle with the comics about Luke, Leia, and Han, and even you know, like you said, the EU books, where it's like, why do all these things happen to them? And you know, they're just you know they're the galaxy you're right the galaxy is a big place and you know one of my favorite eu characters was always corin horn who wasn't in any of the movies at all and you know that was always really enjoyable to have new characters and new stories and see different ways of life in this huge universe yeah and so like i mean obviously they're gonna have somebody else play han solo for you know the his backstory thing i but honestly like if you have to be put in a position where it's like, okay, do we need to get a different actor to play the same part, or could we just not use the character? It'd be great to just not use the character because there's so many like you could tell infinite stories in this galaxy. Yeah. Um, and I would love for them to do that and just use the galaxy as trappings. Like have all the different genres of movies you want that just happen in the Star Wars universe. You know? Agreed. Do your do yeah, so I want I want the Star we'll Wars, see. you know, uh, detective noir on the bottom streets of Coruscant. It, yeah, me too. Totally want that. I, I think I've actually I, I read say, that book, but you know, I was actually going to say I really want the Star Wars detective movie. Like that—that that is what I want. I, I I want that. You know, 
even a Star Wars flat out action flick, which I guess this is the closest we've had to it, because um, they've got action movies, but like something that feels like a. Uh... I'm hoping Rogue One is that. It could be, but but it could also be like an espionage flick. That's true. You know, that's true. Um, I I feel like it could go either way. Um, so, yep. and I think I would be open to both. So I think the moral of this is we're looking forward to seeing what comes more from Star Wars. Uh, yes. And even if we had our individual problems or loves or predictions from episode uh, seven, episode seven is a good jumping off place for it. It hasn't closed any doors. And it opened several. Yes, I think I think it opened a lot. And on top of that, uh, I think it's a great starting point for people who are brand new, like because, you know, as as ridiculous as it seems to us, there are a lot of people who've never seen any Star Wars. Some of them are young. Some of them aren't. And I think that this is a fine movie to introduce them to. I think their only confusion would be the Vader mask thing. Right, yeah, yeah. And and that's, you know, they can ask somebody yeah. and be like, oh yeah, that's his grandfather. Just because Darth Vader's existence is not explained at all in this movie, whereas Han and Leia are, right? Right. Um, and so, I, I mean, it's not perfect. I think that the best place to start is episode four. But, uh, but I think that, whereas I didn't want anybody to start with the prequels, I don't... I don't think I would have any problem with somebody just starting here. Um, and I think that it has just as much potential to get people as hooked on this as the original trilogy got a whole lot of people hooked on Star Wars. So, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I guess in, in net, you know, good work, Abrams and crew, because this felt like Star Wars. I'm looking forward to the next movie not being directed by J.J. Abrams. <laughs> so, uh, for what it's worth... Apparently there was a quote from someone saying J.J. Abrams read the script for episode 8 and said that he wished he was directing it. And uh, <laughs> the rest of the universe is thankful he's not. So, <sighs> But, uh, yeah. Uh, I guess that's all I've got. So, do you have anything? Uh, no. You know, I, I may be critical and finicky, but it's only because I love Star Wars. Um, and I still love Star Wars, and if the prequels could not make me not love Star Wars... Nothing is going to make me not love Star Wars. Um, oh, 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 there was one aspect of the, when I was talking about how, what I thought about this movie at the very beginning that I didn't get to, and then I realized it the moment it passed. But, uh, you know, you said kind of this solidly fit between the prequels and the original trilogy. And for me, I, granted, the movie's brand new. It hasn't had time to settle in or anything, and I haven't rewatched it. But I think I might slot it between slots two and three for me. Um... Like, I, I think I might like it more than Return of the Jedi. I don't like it as much as the original or Empire Empire being my favorite, but... See, you know, I, I, I think see Return of the Jedi out. gets a bad rap, and I think the last... And we'll have to have a whole separate podcast about this. But the last, you know, the whole sequence with Luke on the Death Star with Darth Vader and the Emperor is just so emotionally powerful. Uh, and there was nothing in this movie that could even touch that level of emotion. Well, and so I'm, as someone who, I really, really, really love Jedi, which is why I don't think I can actually place this somewhere yet, because I haven't had the time to process this movie. I mean, I had years to process the other ones, right. so g give me a while. <laughs> but uh, but I think for me, the amount of relief I felt watching this movie is probably, maybe see, what see, bolsters I, so I think much. that's the, just the prequel relief, though. That's, that's Yeah, not... yeah, it is. But it's me feeling like, wow, Star Wars has a future where I didn't think so before, you know? Um, and it is because of the prequels. But I also really, really enjoy it. And there are a lot of things, again, 
um, watching the original movie with a group of people, many of whom had never seen it twice, two of whom had never seen it at all. The amount of the number of things I see that I and others totally just kind of do a hand wave for or dismiss or don't bother to like bat a second eye at that are, you know, hokey or kind of iffy. Um, you know, this was made significantly after that. And it didn't have a lot of the same things. Like generally, if you were laughing in this movie, you were supposed to be laughing, you know? Um, and there's something to it. I don't know how much because it'll take a while. Uh, I probably maybe three, four years from now, I can tell you what I really think about where to place this movie. <laughs> but, but even then probably not until after this entire trilogy has been out for a while because where the, how this movie feels will probably be informed by how the rest of the trilogy. Yeah. Works. I mean, I just feel like so. this movie lacked ambition. I I mean, it, it, the, you know, I, I meant to say, I agreed with you entirely. So, you said the, the one place that this isn't as good as the prequel trilogy is ambition. And I mean, that is one thing the prequels had what, was ambition. Was A New Hope a traditional story in a lot of sense? Yes. But it was the first time in movies they'd ever attempted to do anything like uh, Star Wars. Um, so that that's what makes it ambitious, even if the story seems old. Right. Right. And then five and six are completely out of the box. You know, six throws a lot of stuff out of the box when it basically says the only way for Luke to win is not to fight. That's still an unusual message in a movie. Um, so they're, they're such a unique story. And then the prequels may be awful, um, but they are completely unique to um, four five and six. And if they had been done right, you know, with a better writer and director telling the same story, um, it could have been a phenomenal, um, uh, you know, political, um, intrigue story uh overlaid with this um you know emotional destruction right um and this movie was just such a i i mean obviously i loved it right like i'm in love with poe dameron uh i would like you know i'm i'm married so i can't marry him um but uh you know we could be friends uh and you know i i uh i liked finn you know once you know past the initial stormtrooper, you know, culture problem we already discussed. Um, he was just so darn likable. And, you know, I liked Ray. Um, I overall liked the movie. It felt like Star Wars, but it was too much like A New Hope in a lot of sense. And sometimes it took me out of the story. Like, you know, when I reached a point where I was just like, oh yeah, Han's going to die. Like that thought literally crossed my mind in the theater before it happened, like well before it happened, like, oh, that's going to happen, you know? Um, and, you know, we've talked before about predictability is not a bad thing, but right. um, Star Wars has always, I feel like, been so, I don't want to say edgy because people are going to roll their eyes when they think about 1, 2, and 3. But, I mean, just think about 1, 2, and 3, what they could have been um, if it had been done yeah. well. Like this, I feel like they were afraid, and they were so afraid that they were like, let's remake 4, um, even at the sacrifice of sometimes things not entirely making sense um like why are we building another death star um but uh it could have been a different story um and still been equally well done um and once again it's just a starting place so i definitely think eight and nine can exceed and reach the level of four five and six um i think it's possible but i, I if i'm disappointed in anything it's it's the lack of ambition because of i feel like fear and we all know fear leads to hate and hate leads to <laughs> suffering and suffering leads to the dark side well, so uh, I, I was actually 
it's interesting because it feels like fear to you whereas for me it felt it feels like it doesn't feel like fear it feels like it was they thought it was their like sort of the imperative like they had to bring comfort before they could do something crazy. See, no, um, I know I feel like it was blatant fear of becoming the prequels again. And they were like, what worked before episode four? Well, well so presumably, and, and that's the thing is we can only really know, and we can't know at all really, um, but it really, really depends. Cause if episode eight is not really daring, then I will feel the same way that you do, you know, but it's kind of like, I'm kind of waiting to see how, um, how I feel about that. Because if if episode eight turns out to be really out there and do crazy things, well, that was, you know, that script was written before this movie was finished. Right. You know? I mean, if, if so, the following movies and, bring in Kylo Ren be... back from Patricide, that will be phenomenal. That'll be something I don't right. think any movie has ever done before. But I mean, but what I mean is if episodes eight and nine end up doing some really daring things, then that kind of indicates or it tells us a little bit about the motivation for why this movie is the way it is because like you said it's the beginning of things so if episodes eight and nine are pretty run-of-the-mill then no okay yeah it's probably fear we don't want to be the prequels but if episode eight if just the stuff that's in the script seems to indicate no no, no the whole time they knew they were going to go really out there for this one then it makes more sense to me is like okay we really really need to anchor people down in something comfortable so that they trust us when we throw them into this craziness. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess um, just my fear is episode eight will be Empire again, you know? Right. Uh, and, and I'm with you. If, if eight is Empire again, I will feel much worse about the sameness of this movie. If it's not, if it's something new and different, then I will feel great about the sameness of this because it's basically setting you up for the next movie. Um, and, uh, and that's great. Like, I, I can imagine somebody who me wanting to introduce somebody to Star Wars and be like, all right, let's sit down, let's watch four, five, and six, and let's watch this movie, and presumably, I, if I already know that episode eight is this crazy thing that is very different from four, five, six, and seven, then I, you know, even if they're like, wow, that felt a lot like the ones I just watched in the last few weeks, I'm like, yep, it did. Now let's watch the next one, and it kind of, you know, throws people off. But I, again, I'm, I'm being hopeful. <laughs> so, Ever the we'll optimist. See. Well, but and that's the thing is I'm not ever the optimist when it comes to Star Wars movies, but this may, movie has made me into one. So, um, which is a great thing, I think. So, uh, see, it yeah. didn't necessarily make me an optimist, so it made me afraid. <laughs> it, it, yeah, uh, but that's because it came across to me as fear, and I, I could easily see the next movie being Empire. You know, uh, we we have the hints of different relationships in this movie, you know, whether that's Finn, Ray, Finn, Poe, whatever. Uh, and that getting explored more in the next movie, just like Empire with Leia and Han. Uh, we have our training with Ray and Luke, just like, you know, Dagobah. Um, and of course, you know, the bad guys are probably going to end at the next movie because obviously it's a second movie and an installment. And, you know, like I could just I could just easily see it plotting in parallel to empire and uh that scares me so yeah i mean I, it can go either way we'll see and thankfully it's not gonna be that. it's only an, a year and a half until episode eight which is weird <laughs> which is so weird it's uh, in in a year and a half basically we will have had three star wars movies in about a year and a half that's crazy like episode seven rogue one and episode eight in about a year and a half span just lunacy. Um, 
So yeah, all, all creative stuff about the movie aside, it's really, really funny to me that Disney only paid $4 billion for Star Wars. <laughs> because this movie alone is going to make $2 billion. You know, like, probably well past it in the long run. But this movie alone is going to make $2 billion. So in one movie, over its lifespan, they will have made back half of the return on buying the entire property. Which is just nuts. Yep. Which, I mean, anybody who was paying attention to Star Wars knew that $4 billion was a steal. Yeah, I was Wars. like, you know, if I could have gotten a loan from the bank for $4 billion for Star Wars, I would have done it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so I guess Episode 8, um, we need to see explanations from Luke. Uh, or we, I, I, It'll be good to see Luke. I love Mark Hamill a lot. Luke is the second, my second favorite role of his. So, um, after, uh, after the, the Joker. Joker, yes. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see him because truth is Mark Hamill's a good actor and I'm really excited to see how he does his part. I'm, I'm hoping we don't get a, get Luke killed off in the trilogy. I would love him to just get old. Um, that would be nice. We've... I hope all the old people don't just die. That Yeah. Like I would love for Luke and Leia both just get old and be able to basically retire. You know, see like, hey, the galaxy's in good hands now. We don't have to keep doing this, you know, um, it'd be great. Uh, let's see. I, I think um, Lawrence Kasdan, which was the he was the main writer for Empire Strikes Back. No, he, he was the rewriter for Empire. OK, uh, the original uh, script was written by um, I cannot remember her name, but she was a woman. And then Lawrence Kasdan fixed it. Okay, so Lawrence Kasdan did, uh, he fixed it, he made it, and that it is, you know, the best Star Wars movie. Um, and uh, he was one of the writers for this movie, but he's also, I think, writing the um, Harrison, or the Han Solo movie? Uh, is, I think he's writing that one with his son. Oh, maybe. Be cool, though. Uh, I, I like that he's involved, but I also like that he's involved and not solo writing anything, as far as I can tell. Because that's a good way to keep writers in check. Uh, we didn't talk about the soundtrack at all. Yeah, I just pulled up um, the Wikipedia on this. Uh, Lucas hired Leah Brackett to write uh, Empire. She wrote the first script. Um, and then um, Lawrence Kasdan came in. Cool. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. They've got a lot of interesting people on. Uh, I really, really, really like Ryan Johnson. So, I I remember still um because again I like Abrams much more than you do, uh and yes he does have his issues but he's destroyed uh, my I, childhood. <laughs> but I, I remember back when and keep in mind I didn't I'm not a Star Trek fan I don't dislike Star Trek I just mostly indifferent to it it's it's a just a it's a fandom that I'm not a part of um and I liked the new movies I recognize that they have issues and they have even more issues for people who really like Star Trek. Um, but the, uh, I remember when they were looking for a new director or, you know, because Disney bought Star Wars as, and the first person who came to mind for me was JJ Abrams. I was like, oh man, it'd be great. And then someone reminded me that he was doing Star Trek. I was like, ah, oh, dang it. Well, you know who else would be great? Ryan Johnson. But he's, <laughs> but he's never done a big project. Then there's no way they're going to let him do that. And then here we are. So I was really excited about it. Um, I liked Looper. Um, I, again, as with many movies, I recognize that there are issues, but uh, I like it. Uh, so he is, he is writing and directing episode eight. 
Um, so I don't know how I feel about that. Well, that's what J.J. Abrams did for this. He was a scriptwriter for Seven. Yeah, that's true. Um, but is he... I think Ryan Johnson might be the only writer on episode It two. may be that way, right? I, I feel like it couldn't be that way. I feel like that's unlikely. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the chart now. So for episode seven, you have uh, Kazdan, J.J. Abrams, and Michael Arndt all were screenwriters, with J.J. Abrams as the director. And you have a whole bunch of producers lined up, of course, uh, or listed. Then for episode eight, Ryan Johnson is the only person written down for both director or for either director or screenwriter. And then you have one, two, three, four people on as producers. So you have Kathleen Kennedy, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, Ram Bergman, and Simon Kinberg all. So four producers for uh, for eight, but just the one screenwriter right now. Um, and he is going to be the he's he's going to be screenwriter for nine, but only I think the doing the treatment, like the story treatment. So he's not going to be writing kind of the the full you know the full script or anything. I don't know. Excited. Well, um, it'll be interesting to see where this all goes. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping that him being involved in writing episode nine means that he can point out, like, hey, here are the things we didn't explain in eight that need to be dictated in nine. Yeah. Like, kind of a thing. Where you, you can be like, hey, yes, we know that there's a gap here because nine should cover it. Please make sure to cover this. Kind of a thing. Um, who is Colin Trevorrow? He's going to be directing episode nine. I don't know. Ooh, he did Safety Not Guaranteed. Oh, that's a weird movie to go from Star yeah. Wars. Oh, he's also he also did Jurassic World. Oh, okay. Uh, he directed it. <laughs> um, so, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> he's going from the the second highest grossing movie of this year to uh, <laughs> to Star Wars Episode Nine. <laughs> Seems reasonable. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that this year we got the highest grossing film record broke three times. Because it was uh, Age of Ultron, then Jurassic World, and then Star Wars Episode Seven. Crazy, that's yeah. cool. been an exciting right. year in movies and Star Wars. Very much so. Uh, yeah, looking. For Rogue One is a half a year away. Can't wait. No, it's a year away. It's a year. Away. It's in December, episode, right? Yeah. Then Episode Eight is half a year after. Okay. Cool. Ah, pretty exciting. All right, well, uh, that's that's all we've got today. So uh, for any listeners out there, uh, hope you enjoyed this, and hopefully this comes out soon. I'm working on editing some back episodes, so you should also see those crop up really soon. Uh, and uh, hope to do more of this in the future.